0: Yeah, like you said, goal line clearances, a lot of good play. Feisty at times, I think Arsenal's still
1: count, is higher than Chelsea. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. I could never see myself putting on another jersey. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now.
2: OTB AM With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. All right, it's half past seven. It's Tuesday morning. You're very welcome along to OTB AM. It's and Owen no with you all the way through until ten. If you've got something you want to get off your chest, have at it. The YouTube comments are alive. You can also get us by text oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the number. You can WhatsApp us if you want, or of course, uh, you know, there's always the old mechanisms of Twitter. For example, at off the ball. am. Oh, and good morning to you. Morning, Ger. How are you? Yeah, good. Excited about the return of the Champions League. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, It returned last week, of course And it returns again this week This <laughs> weekly
2: return The weekly return, yeah I don't know what I do uh, from Thursday to I Tuesday. moved house last week I don't. I, if you could have told me that, that Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine last week And I would believe you, Owen uh, yeah. That's how out of the loop I was With mm. uh, what was going on in the world Yeah, how did the house move go? Uh, well, we'll see <laughs> it's There's an analogy there, isn't there, about moving house Yeah, don't do it <laughs> Don't do it so what did happen last week?
3: Uh, what did happen last week? Well, you had, you had uh, Liverpool in action uh, last week. They were other teams might play football mightly impressive. Manchester Big City sides. were even more mightily impressive in their five uh, 0 win against uh, Sporting Lisbon. But Liverpool were the story of last week, weren't they? It was like, of course. oh, they're, they're all in on the Champions League now. I mean, uh, because the league is over, and, to the yes. sword and The Premier League is is over. They can finally uh, decide that. Those eggs that are in the basket of the Premier League don't need to be in that basket anymore because Manchester City are going to run away with this thing. Mm, eggs in the basket. As, and I say that as if, um, as, a, as if we weren't saying that ourselves. We all thought that it was, it was completely over. So that's what happened last week. That, that's, good. that was your um, yeah, good kind of recap there course, yeah. on the, the English sides anyway in the, the Premier League. Yeah, excellent. Okay, there's lots going on today. There sure is. I mean, Champions League tonight is going to be Lille against Chelsea. Uh, is, that, is that what you mean? Is that what no, you're about? I meant Like the
2: stories and the the, 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 the eddying currents of the various narratives that we've been covering on this show for four and a half years, but that's okay. You can focus specifically on Legal and Chelsea tonight. That's your that's your lead. Okay.
4: I don't, I don't
3: know, what's going on? Go on oh, what
2: are you looking at? Tracy Tracy's going to join us a little bit later on. He's picked his own team. He's picked his team and he's picked Andy Farrell's team and there's a significant difference between the two. Andy Farrell's team has Johnny Sexton in playing because he's the captain against Italy. Really, really keen to see what Sexton can do against Italy because I've no idea how he might perform against the weakest team in the Six Nations. He's not on Kean Tracy's team, mind you. That was interesting, I thought.
3: Okay, so, so you're not having this notion whatsoever that Sexton needs to play this weekend. Clearly,
2: I mean, I think people can get that from your tone. Well, why did he need to play this weekend? What, tell me exactly why he needs to play this week against Italy. What are we going to learn from Sexton playing against Italy starting against Italy that we, we we don't already know. Johnny Sexton, good at rugby. Oof, wow, that's a shock to the system. Excellent. Whereas, you know, we, we've been counting the number of matches there are until the World Cup kicks off. It's like less than 20 significant test matches, really.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Maybe it's not about learning anything. Maybe it's about Just t- taking a country of 60 million people Smashing and saying, screw you, we're better than you at this one thing. You're better than us at literally everything else. N-E-V-D-V-G. You make us feel like uh, inferior human beings in every other walk of life. Uh, but in rugby union, we are better than you, 60 million people.
2: Now that you're not allowed to wear shoes anymore, now, now that shoes got cancelled, are the Italians still better than us at everything? Yes. Are they?
3: Uh, not, not, The gap is closed because shoes got cancelled, but uh, it hasn't closed enough to the point of us... Uh, breathing down their necks just
2: yet. Do you think they know shoes got cancelled? Because it's like it was kind of their thing. Their their excellent leather shoes was something that would have set them apart on a, on a global scale. They they literally did world-class shoes. Shoes, cars, pasta.
3: And not all those three things have been cancelled yet. It's the only thing. Well, uh,
2: pasta... pasta Cancelled? It's a tricky, tricky enough time there for a while. It was like the whole no carbs thing. It's like... Can't be having pasta all day, every day. The footballers used to have pasta before matches and then they'd go out and go, I'm a bit sluggish today. I wonder, why the, I wonder what that extra kilo of like slosh that's going around in my stomach, I wonder what impact that's having on my ability to uh, reach my top speeds for five kilometers a match. And then that stopped. So, you know, there's a, there's a bit of pasta that uh, didn't survive its first encounter with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I mean, obviously we all still love it
3: yeah I, I think I think past has survived so the talk is through why the shoes have been cancelled
2: uh, any time there's a photograph of anybody wearing shoes on the internet the shoes get circled and people are like oh he's wearing shoes what are those oh look at that he's got shoes on okay right I I actually hadn't realised this you haven't I, seen this meme uh, no I uh, I. the fashion haven't. police are out the alarm goes off the siren wails and the crowd arrives to stare and gulp at somebody who still wears shoes Right, God, that's that must be a tough place. I I can admit
3: this morning that I am wearing shoes. People N- don't know that. No, you're not. People don't. People don't know that when they watch us. You're at, not, not wearing shoes. You're wearing trainers. Um. Okay. Yeah, but like they are shoes. Like no, no, no. The, the leather shoes got cancelled. Okay, so I didn't mean like shoes in general. I thought you meant like bare feet. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said shoes. Were you had again
2: last night on. I mean, is, is this what we're getting to? You know, Was you, it a good gig? You, you said shoes. Yeah, I did say shoes. Shoes. <laughs> yes, shoes. Shoes. Inca- not trainers. No, shoes are, are, are
3: encapsulate everything. No, no. They yes, don't. they do. And then there are obviously shoes, shoes, and then there are runners and trainers or sneakers, whatever which are uh, not lingo shoes, you want which to use. Know. Yes, they are. I shoes can't are sho- I have to teach you this. You're teaching me these things normally. Shoes are things that go on your feet. Okay, full stop except for sandals you can't, wouldn't really call them shoes
2: OTBA is brought to you by Gilecca when I start with your life to best face forward with you new and improved razors are we done with the Italian shoes you
3: were the one who brought it up I mean, are you are you done with uh, with cancelling shoes
2: uh, I didn't cancel them I I think that if I was Italian I'd be I'd be lobbying to get them to make a comeback because they're so good at them yeah. we don't even need to we don't even this is a bad week we don't even need to like dump on our opponents does, does there's it, no reason to it's like come yeah. on let's, let's just have fun I would prefer if the game was in Rome every year. Like we could give them home advantage every year.
4: That would
3: be nice. It Actually, would be. We is that, just that be how it? you fix the Six Nations? Just have the tournament. Everybody in Rome? goes to Rome. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. That we won for ten
2: years, right? To even things up.
3: That, that could certainly be an idea. It, do, it does feel that your, your heart isn't in it as much as your heart was in slacking off Croc two weeks ago at this point. Look, so croc, I think that probably tells the Italian people all they need to know about their expectations
2: for this weekend. Croc is not as good as we established as the Grilla Toasties. Yeah, they're, they're certainly. Uh,
3: is, is, is there sorry is a free pass that we can get in here before we move on to actual sports news? What's the fancy Qu- quickly one? Quickly, can we Spurs a tour? What if there's a there's an Italian restaurant that's around here
2: called Spresa Tour, and if they're listening, they've got very good pasta. All oh, right, okay. I, I I was actually thinking of the the brand that we'd cook ourselves because you know we can do that as opposed to. But that's all right. Whatever. Uh, Sexton to start. You want him to start. You're no, fully I'm, I'm a fully signed up I'm member a, of it. Sexton or Bus for Ireland. Not at all. Come the World
3: Cup. Not at all. Because he was so good at the last World Cup. I'm being completely devil's advocate when, when I'm asking you why. I... Um to, to, to explain yourself and, and your, your Sexton take. I think Sexton's actually proven this season that he doesn't even need to be better in a little bit. I mean, he came back for Leinster and played pretty well immediately after being out for a while. So if he were to be chosen for the England game, I don't think he necessarily needs the Italy game for it. That it, it is worth trying things out. Like it, it depends kind of what else he wants to do with the team, right? Because like if you're looking at other elements of it, I think Robbie Henshaw's probably going to get in this weekend, just because he needs—he maybe needs games in rated sex and doesn't. Like when you look at someone like Dan Sheehan, who's now, I guess, hooker number one. In Andy Farrell's depth chart, you'll probably want to accompany him with two first-choice props. So th- th- it's not necessarily you take a risk in every
2: position. Not take a risk. It's not that you necessarily play your second-string player in every position. I don't think I'd be playing that for it th- there's new,
3: there's
2: Certainly, I wouldn't assist. start him. If you know, if if there's a twenty minutes at the end of the ban- uh, of the game, fine. But like, mm. this is the bit where you just need to get clever with your resources. No. Like we're going to win by 20 to 45 yeah. points Yeah like I, and also If we play really badly We'll only win by 20 points
3: But here's the thing as well
2: Dan Sheen's also really good And So maybe, why does he need Maybe he doesn't necessarily Why does he need Furlong beside him I'd give Dan Sheen a game Because he's only getting up to Speed with international rugby And you want him to Understand exactly what it's like uh, A bit more But like he, He's going to be fine
3: Maybe you don't Maybe it's Healy and Bealem beside him and, and maybe that's a front row That's, that's totally fine and, and that's the way he sees it I'm just saying that it's different maybe with the, the out half position that in a way that maybe your front row isn't. That I, I do think that the, it's I, going to...
2: I think for Sheehan, you pick a second row who he's familiar with. So you pick James Ryan and you let him captain the side because that's like a big moment for him again to captain the team back to back. An opportunity for him to get that bit more experience. I, I see that. Like I'm not saying it's a full subs team playing, but I definitely like you're getting players game time who've been in Portugal who've been in the squad you're getting the opportunity for them let's see Balakoon again yeah like James Lowe is back he's in um, um, Keane's team yeah you uh, want to see it, like the, the players that are kind of like
3: first choice as well I guess Furland does play into that I guess you, you, there's not much to be learnt about them like one of those players as well is someone like Hugo Keenan who is going to be first choice 15 for the next little while regardless so this would be the perfect week to try out someone like Michael Lowry and to, to, to see what what they look like at 15. But I guess just the, the point I'm making is that to, to try out somebody out of position uh, and to give them a full crack of the whip, it's nice to have first-choice players beside them, but maybe Italy are so bad that that's actually not an, an, a requirement.
2: Uh, so I, I see the point you're making that you want to give people the opportunity to play in a combination that would look like a combination that you would pick in a big game. Yeah, so like, it's not I mean, just everybody new.
3: You're not going to have 15 new players all burst through at the one time, chances are when it comes to the World Cup team there will be three or four players that are different, barring injury. Like I, I know um in, in Keane's piece as well, he's talking about the possibility of moving Doris over to eight, Burn back to six, and seeing what that back row looks like. that would like be pretty to see interesting. That, yeah. yeah. Um Obviously, like, I mean, it's... Maybe put Coombs in there. <clears throat> Coombs is, is definitely some, somebody that, that I think we were all pretty excited to see once the Six Nation squad was announced. But once these squads get announced, the thing that we're most excited about is the guys with the asterisk beside them are two or three caps. And we're like, okay, this is going to be very interesting to see how to get on at an Ireland cap, but, uh, camp. But as it turns out, they they rarely get meaningful game time. So it becomes a big talking point at the start. And then we kind of forget that these players were even in the squad. And Coombs is one of those people. Hume is one of those players as I say I wonder is he going to try and get Henshaw up to, to game time but it could be Henshaw and Hume. that
2: might be interesting wouldn't it yeah
3: yeah like so it, it's um, there's a, a multitude of of different constellations that he could go with this weekend uh, and I guess we might learn a thing or two about what he's thinking or, or, or what he sees the future as by his team selection this weekend
2: maybe they pick the team that they want to play against England to give them a run out together so that their confidence is really high going into the England game you know, I, I, I can see how you would make the case for that, but it doesn't feel like that's the best long-term thing to do. Like, England are in a situation where we're going to go to Twickenham. It's going to be a close game. And, like, whether or not the, the team played against Italy is not going to be the defining characteristic of that game. Mm. Whether or not we play well on the day will not be decided by somebody who had 80 minutes against Italy. So, like, get as much experience to the team as you possibly can. Put people under a little bit of stress where you're a bit inexperienced so we're going to put you in against this Italy game as as stressful as that can be mm. like the
3: week off after Italy in many ways actually kind of makes this not ideal <laughs> or else it's or just a sort redundant. of open season for, uh,
2: for for trying things out this weekend I guess Right, OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette Good morning, start with Gillette Put your best face forward They're new and improved razors. Here's what's coming up Between now and 10 o'clock this morning We'll bring you the power rankings In a couple of minutes Michael Marr, the uh, London coach Is going to join us at 10 past 8 uh, Native-born son of London And uh, ripping up with uh, London footballers In Division 4 at the moment Sports pages at 8.30 Keen Tracy at 8.40 Graham Hunter at 10 past 9 To preview the week's Champions League action And some highlights from Monday Night Rugby yesterday right uh, do we want to talk a little bit about the fact that maybe the island of Ireland is going to have a quarter of the games of the Euros, according to a leaked memo that the political correspondents are getting access to ahead of uh, something going to government today? You buying this? Like, it's interesting, isn't it?
3: Like, first, my first thought is, what's the feasibility of this and who's actually going to host the games? And
2: The other thing is, when do we talk about the island of Ireland? When it suits us. Yeah. When the politicians are selling a dream to taxpayers in the Republic they're like oh this is an all island thing and we're going to we're going to end up this will be all, when, when else do we talk about it are we allowed to talk about we, the fact that we would like to qualify a, for tournaments and the United Politician Ireland Tanks. is that uh, we're not allowed to talk about that because that's a political hot potato oh no sorry we, we're all agreed that we do want it at some nebulous point in the future this is just uh, for me I'm like oh, it's in the front of the examiner Paul Hosford has it I haven't seen it anywhere else so it's a uh, it's a good scoop in, in terms of um, Somebody in the political world has decided to get this story out there. And um, will there be a quarter of the games on the island of Ireland? And what does that mean? Is it Casement Park? Because it can only be Casement. It's great news for them. I would certainly, Ulster GA are doing a great job of um, making sure that that is front and centre of this. Uh, and you know, I'm 100% behind the redevelopment of that. And if that's, if that's what this is, and then it is a genuine island of Ireland benefit. But like, are we? You know, what what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, You're excited by this. You think it'd be great.
3: I don't like. I'm not, I'm not sure where you got that I'm impression. Asking, it's like, a question. I, 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 the, the whole idea of us of us hosting the yours in the first place is not something that's necessarily exciting me because it feels that we've kind of been down this road before we've got a lot further down this road in a more real sense I would have have said even with like the rugby World Cup bid because that felt like an Irish bid again Island of Ireland stuff but uh, an Irish bid as opposed to us being a part of something granted it's not as uh, uninvolved, as say the Euros bid was, and I guess in a way being uninvolved is a good thing because there isn't a, as much of a cost on it as there would have been if you're the main host for this. A quarter is a big enough figure when you're when you're thinking about it. Like if it, if it was to be the regular twenty fourteen 200 I think that's fifty one matches, so that's twelve games on the island of Ireland's. Um, according to this. Memo. So uh, they're reporting that the Aviva and Crow Park are penciled in for the bid, but no decision has been made yet on whether Parky Quive or any other stadium outside the capital would be used. So uh, I guess if you had the Aviva, Parky Quive, and Casement, or you throw Croke Park into that mix as well, and then you've got three, you've got four games in each of those stadiums, that seems like a reasonable enough ambition, doesn't it? Three games in each of those stadiums or four?
2: Four so that'd be 16 games
3: no for, uh, sorry three out of that four would be okay used. sorry so I, like, I'm not like I mean does, does, does Parky Queef have to go through the, the feasibility study of you know what, the access to the stadium transport Ooh, you I was going to say you presume
2: they pass all that stuff and then you mentioned the access to the stadium it's like I'm not yeah. sure in the parking so. I'm
3: not I can't quite recall you can I, put I, buses on
2: say this is yeah. the only access area no one's allowed to drive past this point buses only right
3: and like it's 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 pretty well connected as a as a city, I guess, and it's it's got its own airport and and all that, so it's fine. Like I, I guess it was uh, smaller towns that let the, the rugby world cup bid down in the past. And um, like I, I I my natural assumption was that this would be a, a smaller number than uh, than a quarter of the games, but uh, it seems that we really are uh, sitting at the table.
2: Well, we'll see. Yeah. That's what the that's what the dreams being sold to the government, and then ultimately it comes back as like you got six games, lads, like. But then we were told 12. That's, we gave you all this money for 12. Like, yeah, but you got six. That's how this works, right? Oh, we're getting 12 games. Let's wait and see. Everybody's getting excited. They're like, oh, everybody in Cork is like, yeah, we got three games, four games. Sorry, you got no games. Yeah, and how, and how many of those games would be, would be good games as well? Be. All the games are at Wembley. There's like 15 games at Wembley because, you know, they've got to pay off the billion dollars that they spent on, on building that
3: the only way to wrestle a game from Wembley is just to prove that Cork people can put a firecracker up their arse as well and then they'll be like yes you're all yours that's what the football authorities like if you'd like to send us a video of a firecracker up your arse this morning we will forward it on to the government
2: it's, the it's, uh, it's 747 um, John says I don't think Joey Carby will learn much playing with a second string team against Italy but Jack Carty definitely would maybe it's an opportunity for Carty maybe Carty starts and uh, Carberry's on the bench or maybe Sexton starts and Cardi's on the bench Carberry at 15 says Mark might be interested in seeing that that's fair enough uh, most of the team does not need to play this week says MCO most of the team doesn't need to play this week that's the stage where we've got to where there is no jeopardy involved in playing Italy in the Six Nations because they're so bad at this point and that's why you kind of feel like it's a waste of time playing uh, Sexton in this game. It just doesn't feel like we're going to get anything from it. So, uh, at least you get a ticket if it was in Rome every year, says MOC. I think um, I think uh, people have been finding it relatively okay to get tickets for the home Italy game.
3: Yeah, I, have, I haven't uh, tried to be honest. It's yeah, I, I think it's the one that, that probably most people would, would uh, have ease getting tickets for. Like it'll be it'll be the game and. Um Getting game against Scotland potentially, which could be hard if, if Ireland go to Twickenham and, and end up getting a win. There could be a championship on the line on
2: that final day. Certainly the atmosphere would be good. Scotland's known party poopers when it comes to uh, us winning something on the final day. In the past, uh, they ruined our goodbye to Cork Park, of course. One last thing. There's a potential for the GA to rebrand post-merger. What do you think of this?
3: Yeah, like it's, so first of all, like what the, the point of the rebrand is, is what exactly?
2: Well, a new organisation will be born from the merger. Mm-hmm. It won't just be the GA as it stands. It'll be the GA, the LGFA and the Camogie Association. Yeah. So what do you call that organisation yeah. afterwards? Like, I guess, w- without rebranding,
3: what you're saying is that people are coming in under the GA umbrella as opposed to this being kind of like a mutual meeting halfway. And uh, I guess there is still quite, like, there's a, there's a, a nature to looking at the, the GA as... Uh, a relatively archaic organisation that have the LGFA and the Camogie Association sitting on the outside looking in and does that automatically change once they come in or does it feel like this is very much a GEA controlled thing or cannot like one part of me is thinking that people automatically associate Camogie and women's football with GEA anyway and people call the GEA like Gala Games, the GEA and it and it is just kind of it is a very strong brand. If you want to refer to it as a brand, the, the whole GEA it is pretty inseparable from the sport. It's even stronger than say UFC and MMA, for example. So, like uh, I do think there is a strength to that current brand, but I can completely understand why that would want to change because it is a new organization. How long would this take? How how many years over which we would see a rebrand? How long would that be to be feasible for? It would be a couple of questions that I would have. But it's going to be a new organisation when this does eventually happen. Uh, so maybe that needs to come under a new name as well. So you're in favour of it? Yeah, I can, I, can, I can absolutely see the reasons for it. Yeah.
2: All right. If anybody out there has a view, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. It is seven fifty. Though it's time for us to get to the erroneous power rankings of these critics,
5: these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from, But they're, they're a great bunch But it's not acceptable I like to play the hard man When, when they're on it It's not very pleasant When you're trying to manage a team All you're looking for is A bit of civility And a bit of decency But they just dismiss you Like, like you, you know You have nothing to do With the bloody occasion Right
2: Feeling pressure?
3: Not really There wasn't that many games The weekend A lot of them got called off So it makes things uh a little bit easier than they usually would be to move things around uh, we'll start with uh, team number 32 and move uh, all the way up to uh, the top uh, Waterford are down to the bottom place uh, dropping a couple of spots they lost to, to Carlo at the weekend Carlo got off bottom spot by beating them uh, Wexford are up to thirty eight as well uh, then Tipperary are down they didn't play at the weekend you've got Leachman there 28. Uh, kind of the wind taken out of their sails a little bit at the weekend against London they were 7 points to 1-1 one, one up at half time and ended up losing that game to London and then Wicklow ended up getting beaten by Antrim so they're down but uh, London one of the great stories of the league so far, um, their win against Leitrim brings them up to 26th, uh, that two-point win. They won by one point against Carlo, one point against Waterford, two points against Leitrim. They've been grinding these games out. And Are they
2: the greatest comeback team of all time?
3: Yeah, well, possibly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> haven't they been massively down in all their games? I think
3: so, yeah. I, um, they certainly were against Carlo and against and against Leitrim. Um, the connects uh, Airdome was in use for the coaching conference the weekend, so uh, they were playing on the field beside the co- the, the, <laughs> the Airdome, I think, which... Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the surface obviously uh, is is excellent, and uh, that's why it was uh, it was moved there to, the, to that centre of excellence. Um, so London, yeah, there like there were suddenly you'd have to say in the conversation for promotion because Leitrim were in the conversation for promotion <laughs> so they've beaten them and, and, and they, they are now uh, subsequently there like I, I do think Tipperary will probably get better and Kavan are the strongest team in the division and they also have to play Sligo so there's three very difficult games for them still to come in this but are Le- not in free fall they are they are but um, I do think that there is a floor to how far they can fall and uh and I think it'll see them win a couple of games. But we'll see. Maybe not. Like Leitrim was probably London's toughest game. Toughest opponent on paper so far. And they ended up beating them. So things are looking excellent for them at the moment. For Mana, their game against Leech was postponed there. Still at 25. Uh, Sligar didn't play either. They were due to play Cavan. Longford are down because a couple of teams have moved up. Uh, Antrim another... Uh, team who were down and I'll tell you why because this little midsection here this second page is just a complete mishmash of results but I think I'll put some clarity on it so Antrim are in at 22nd uh, they have beaten Wicklow at the weekend and uh, they've also gone down and they've also gone down Oh come I'll, on I'll tell you why so they lost they lost to Limerick but Limerick also lost at the weekend so I wanted to keep Limerick ahead of Antrim but then I wanted Limerick to be below the team that beat them which was Loud and uh, obviously Loud had a poor enough start to the season losing to Leash but they've come back well since then that draw against Longford beating Limerick by two points seven unanswered points in the last 15 minutes to win this game they're finishing games really strongly at the moment and then Leash I think Leash are better than all those teams Uh, so they're in at uh, 19 their game against Romana was postponed Uh, their defeat so far was to Westmeath they beat Louth by five points so I think yes there is a lot of uh, moving around in those uh, teams from 23 to 19 but I think I think that's the correct order. 18 then is uh, Offaly, who were down one. Uh, Their uh, game against Galway was postponed. Uh, Cork then in at 17, still falling. They kind of seem to lose the fight in the second half of their match against Derry. You've got Keith Riggott constantly positive. He is confident that game's... Or that things will turn around for Cork over the next little while. He's, he's confident in the young players that they have. I get the sense from his comments though that he's not necessarily talking about this year, that it's over the next couple of seasons that he's expecting uh, a Cork comeback. They play Galway next. That's going to be a very, very tough fixture for them. Galway are flying at the moment in that division, even though they didn't play at the weekend. So it's a defeat, a draw and a defeat for Cork so far in Division 2. So yes, they're definitely in the, the bottom tier of that division and, and could get relegated uh Cavan stay put at number 16 uh they didn't play at the weekend they were due to play Sligo uh down I've uh moved up because of i guess some of their the magnitude of their defeats in contrast with some of their counterparts in division two. For example, Cork. Like I mean, they took less of a hammering against Derry than Cork did. They lost by six points to Galway, which I think for a team that all reaches of Division Two is actually going to be smaller than some of the teams around them. And they could have beaten Mead at the weekend. They hit the crossbar in the last second with a fisted effort. They didn't score in the second half though. Uh, but that being said, Mead only scored if three. If there was points a three
2: way triangular tournament between down, Mead and Cork it'd be like Five draws. <laughs> every chance. Every chance. Yeah. And if you
3: threw Kavan in there to make it a four team. Kavan, Kavan. Kavan are, are quite an unknown quantity at the moment because they're playing weaker teams. Yeah. Um, but like they their wins so far have been by four points and by six points. you are not hammering teams in Division 4. But then again, why would you? Maybe they just feel at the start of the and season the weather that, conditions you know, are
2: so bad it's hard to...
3: It is hard to, to judge things on, on magnitude but we sure as hell will try our best here to, to try and read into them a lot. That me down second half I, I wonder is that an early contender for worst half of football of the season and uh, as I said it was three points scored in that second half they were all scored by me, uh, me. they were all scored from freeze down didn't manage a, a single score in that half me I'd say we're pretty happy at half time
2: that was the the video that's doing the rounds of the sideline, where it's an attempted score to the far post that ends up basically going out for sideline, or yeah. just maybe it was wide. Yeah, it's like me- all the conditions the were minute. like, yeah. so, like wholly to, to to blame for this. Like,
3: but me, I'd say at half time we're like, right, we have got a massive wind, three points down, we can do this, and they didn't end up. Getting the job done. Uh, they play awfully on Saturday. That's a, like. There's a lot of those games now in Division 2 this weekend that are huge. And uh, we're reaching that point of the season where teams are going to be playing to stay in Sam Maguire uh, this summer. So Meads, stay put at number 14. It feels as they could fall further from there. Westmeade stay put at 13. Their game against Longford was postponed. And then Clare got another draw. Clare, I mean they have been knocking on the door to get into division 1 over the last little while and I feel that this is a relatively similar story this year where it's hard to be overly critical of them but they could have beaten Cork and they drew with them maybe the same couldn't be said of of Roscommon roscommon ahead of them in the power rankings so maybe to get a draw against them uh, was a good result uh, and it was team 12 against team 11 and uh, the result was a draw so I mean, the most perfect, uh, flawless power rankings of all time, have done it again. And one of the biggest winners from that game was the, the surface in Dr. Hyde Park, getting a lot of credit for the way it held up uh, in the conditions. So, yeah, Common Clare, draw Roscommon at 11. Uh, at number 10, then, is Kildare. Would have been a bit of a problem for me had they actually beaten Toronto at the weekend. But, you know, if my granny had balls. Hey, should you be my granddad? It's the most overused phrase in the show at the moment, isn't it? It's like, it's it's real meme. Um, so uh, I just said I'd get that in there so but um, no unfortunately they didn't beat Tyrone they lost by a point Derry are in a number 9 uh, they beat Cork by 9
2: points Ray's been in touch to say Derry are actually going to go from division 1 to division 4 and then back to division 1 in 8 years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's some story It's uh, I, I mean I remember when the league games they were like at this time of the year where they were like oh Derry could be contenders here and then collapse the air comes out of the balloon bouncing down to Division 4 and straight back up it is mad
3: like I think the, it was was it 2014 I think it was the year they got to the league final and was from the, there it was a the
2: really good centre forward Mark um, yes kicking big points with his left foot um, oh my god he was class yeah I've, I have a very strong image of him in the winter time the, the conditions being absolutely crazy and him just being able to glide through and you're like he could do this all year and then the team just fell apart uh, like, I mean, Mark Lynch. Mark Lynch, that's
3: um, it. They do obviously have uh, Shane McGuigan at the moment, who's looking back to his best. Kicked eight points at the weekend. They look fit, is the thing, that Benny Herring goal that was scored. It was like this blistering counter-attack against Cork. Cork, Cork should have scored a goal at the other end, but Derry just hit them on the counter-attack. And again, maybe there's this, just everything has to be put into the, into the context of the conditions. Maybe there was this kind of like gust at their backs that just made them look ferocious and like almost...
2: Um, I don't. I think Liverpool are in their coming, counter-attacking. They've
3: been coming for two years, though. Yeah, they're flying, like conditioning-wise, and they they probably know that they have to peak early as well if they want to survive in Ulster.
2: And they have a style of play. They have patterns. Everybody understands what they're doing. They've got the the piece with Slock Neil that they made a couple of years ago. It was really important to them. They've got leaders throughout the team. I'm really impressed with Derry. I think that they could go very, very close this year. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Um, they're one of the teams who you were talking about. Who at night is lying there going, "Geez, we can do it this year." I think so. Like I, I mean, you'd expect Kerry to beat them. Kerry would be four to five point favorites in a in an All Ireland quarter final if that match was played in four weeks' time. But the fact that if if Derry were to get there, that it had to come through a lot, right? Yeah. And they'll be battle hardened in a way that I don't think Kerry would really like to play Derry in an All Ireland quarter final, where Kerry have cruised through, whooped everybody in Munster, and went, oh we're superstars, we're the hurling globetrotters. It's like, yeah, well, you know, this isn't. You're not in Harlem anymore, Toto.
3: Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I'd agree with that. And, like, I mean, you should be saying the same things about the teams below them, like Kildare and Roscommon, but is there something about this Derry team just feeling fresh and new? And I, and I know that there is a new element definitely to, to Kildare this year as well, but that Derry come in without baggage? I know that there was a tough way to lose to Donegal last year, but it's uh, like just been a constant rise, and it's like, let, let's see how far this thing can go.
2: I think there's a, I think there's a genuine thing about growing up in Ulster football. You learn how to be flinty and chippy and hard to beat and aggressive in everything you do. Whereas that's not the case. Ross Common and Kildare have loads of lovely footballers. They're great on the ball. They're really fast and they're skillful. But if you were if you were to just put the two squads up against each other, not knowing anything, and go, Who's gonna win in an MMA fight? Who are you gonna pick? Mm. Um, like
3: or is, is that a, like that would have be been an interesting question Kildare against Roscommon in that scenario? No, Derry against oh well, a triangular tournament. Derry, Who's going to win? Derry beat them be, be easily, but they they do on on football as well. Like it's interesting looking at the, the recent history of of Kildare and Roscommon. Like and if you're eyeing up one of those top teams, like Kildare and Roscommon have both proven that they can do it against Mayo, for example. And I know maybe Mayo is not the, the Litmus Test, maybe Kerry and Dublin are the Litmus Test in Tyrone, but. Uh, because Mayo have had a habit of getting to an All-Ireland final and then the following year maybe disappointing a little bit or, or just kind of hiccuping their way through the, through the qualifiers, certainly in that those, those mid-2010s uh, period. And maybe that's not the thing you, you judge them by, but they have shown glimpses in the past so of being able to show up in the big day. The problem is the very next day they would collapse and they would have a poor result and I, I think those same failings probably exist for them there but can you put them into that category of teams that are going to bed at night dreaming of, of Sam Maguire, they might be deluded but I think they can possibly dream, Derry may be less deluded and I think that they'll uh, quite possibly cause a scallop And Ulster this year, Galway didn't play at the weekend they're still in at number 8 like it would be a surprise at this point if it's not Galway and Derry going up, I know that it is competitive and I know that Roscommon and Clare will have uh, something to say about that come the end of this but it does feel that that Galway and Derry are just a couple of inches ahead of them at the it'll moment.
2: be epic if they don't somebody will do something amazing it'll ha- that's what it's going to take to stop those two
3: yeah uh, Donegal uh, are kind of one of the big fallers up here to be honest like this this has happened because Michael Murphy wasn't playing at the weekend but there is a future uh, coming
2: Michael, uh, Michael Murphy went off there's a future coming okay finish that go on
3: the, the, there is a future coming where Michael Murphy will not be injured and will not be out for just one or two weeks and, and Donegal will have to, to play without him and they just look completely directionless without him he is the most important player to a singular team in the country like you take him but that's fair of, enough Okay, out like, of any he's he, an all-time great he, he is but there are other all-time greats playing football at the moment as well and you, you take them out of their team they don't have the same impact he has the most impact on their team more impact on on one team than any other player in the country like David Clifford didn't start on Sunday for example Will David Clifford go down as a, as a better footballer than Michael Murphy one day? Quite possibly. But he doesn't have the same level of importance to his team as Michael Murphy does to his team. Uh, what if Sean O'Shea hadn't played? Well, there, that's actually could be a, a, an interesting conversation. Is Sean O'Shea more important to Kerry than David Clifford is? At the
2: moment, you'd say, given that... The freeze. Y- well, and also, you can stop the ball getting into Clifford. When Clifford gets the ball, it's almost impossible to stop. But you yeah. can't stop the ball getting into him. The main conduit seems to be... Uh, a lot of it, a lot of it's coming through uh, Sean O'Shea at the moment so maybe I, I take your point you would have to say that you would expect the, the strength and depth in Kerry to be significantly better than that in Donegal given yeah. the throughput of talent so I think that like that's a reason for it for sure I, but um, Michael Murphy went off after about 20 minutes 25 minutes against Kildare and they still won that game still won the game yeah so I think you're overreacting to a bad performance against Kerry because you were there and you're like, ah, oh, this team are crap. And, and also, you're not giving Kerry full... Kerry made progress through the league. I think that um, a lot of you're teams... Calling, you're, calling this, you're calling this a dishonest uh, dropping of Donegal. I think that you're overreacting madly to like recency bias that um, come the Ulster Championship, Donegal are going to be within a kick of whatever team beat them. And I think they will get beaten. But I think that... Um, Monaghan could beat them by a kick. Tyrone could beat them by a kick, but that's it. And yeah. maybe and maybe and maybe that's where they are. Maybe like ends,
3: but like the, and and Monaghan and Tyrone could beat Derry by a kick, and Derry are down in ninth. And the same goes for, for Galway at the end of it. But like, but you've always said like, who would win if the game was played in the in the morning? And if the game was played in the morning, Michael Murphy wouldn't be there for Donegal And so they're
2: they're they're sixth. They're seventh. Seventh. Okay, we're going to have to come back to this a little bit later on because yeah. you you've you've, give, you've put Dublin in green that's because Donegal dropped
3: so somebody has, oh, to, no, uh, yeah, somebody you, has you, to fill the void you moved Dublin up yeah well that's, no I moved Donegal down we'll come back
2: to this to a little it. bit later if anybody out there thinks it's absolutely ridiculous that Owen is promoting Dublin after what happened at the weekend in Croke Park when they were taken apart by Mayo uh, in Croke Park in the league for the first time in, like since since the year dot uh, then fair enough to you that's this week's Power Rankings I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time for them but they're, they're a great bunch But it's not acceptable Right, it's six minutes past eight this morning. If uh, you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. 87 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good mornings. Start with Gillette, put your best face forward with their new and improved Razors. Now, uh, we wanted to turn our attention to one of the best stories in the uh, league season so far, and that is the success of the London Gaelic footballers. And I'm delighted to stay there. Coach Michael Maher is with us this morning. Michael, good morning to you. How are you getting on?
5: Morning, lads. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, we're pretty good. Um, I, I guess, not as excited about life as you are at the moment. Uh, we were just saying you've built a team that believes in itself to the point where they're pulling off these remarkable comeback victories uh, in the league. There's something special, brewing.
5: Yeah, look, they're a great group of lads. We have come back in all three games. I think um, conditions dictated a couple of the games um, we were behind in them, but um, there's just a re- real good group. There's a no excuses culture amongst the group and um We've, we've got a deep squad, something that I don't think we've had before in London. So um, there's massive belief there and we're, we're delighted with the free results, but look, we're very much aware that um, we face bigger battles ahead and this weekend will be no different.
2: Uh, the the backstory is really interesting. I think you got the gig just before COVID or certainly you didn't get the opportunity to play too many games before COVID hit. Is that fair?
5: Yeah, we got five games under our belt in 2020. It being kind of an interrupted pre-season and... Um, then obviously the COVID hit, so yeah, um, it's been very much starting again, starting from scratch, and we've got a, a fairly new panel put together, all told with numbers. So um, yeah, look, it's been it's been tough, but it's been a good reset as well. And lads that have been on the road with London a long time, I think it kind of made them appreciate and reevaluate how fortunate they are to be playing inter county football, and I, I think that's kind of shown in the. The, the re-energised atmosphere amongst the group.
2: So, was it easy enough to pull the squad together after COVID? Is that is that what your experience was? That you were kind of pushing an open door with most of the people who you were asking to join?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Look, there was a, there was a massive hunger there. The lads we spoke to um, were were really enthusiastic about the whole thing and that the chance to play football the the highest level was was something that that, that really did appeal to a lot of them. So, look, I guess naturally, like any intercounty scene, there's um, there were a few lads that we'd love to have him, but just couldn't make it work. With other commitments, but for the for the huge majority, the lads, we asked to come in. They came in, and um, look, we're reaping the rewards now.
3: The, the identity of London GA, Michael, is, is really interesting. Like it, from the outside looking in, it seems that that the best way for the team to succeed is when there is that strong uh, culture of players who are living temporarily in London, but it needs to be underpinned by a base of players who who are natives as well. And I guess being the first native-born manager of this team, that really taps into that identity and really, I guess, pushes that along nicely.
5: Definitely. Look, I think the day of um, like an, an all-Irish-born team representing London is gone. Um, I don't think there'll ever be a day when it's all London-born players either. I think we're, we're kind of trying to get the perfect balance. But like you say, like the the homegrown lads will will always be there. And I guess the, the whole COVID situation kind of did underpin that. But we were lucky, a lot of the lads that were, were on the panel before, they, they were still in London um so we we've got a good blend there we've got ten london born boys in the extended panel of thirty five which is a good number we've got an all London born junior team kind of underpinning the senior team, and you'd hope that every year one or two would come out of that and feed the senior squad so um there are good structures in place now um but we we've got kind of a really good mix of um experienced london born lads um we've got a number of experienced london born lads in there as well um and lads that are kind of new over from Ireland that are maybe passing through London and they're able to add something to the group whilst they're here. Because I think in
3: 2013, that that famous summer when London go on the run, there was only one English-born player in the in the squad. I think Philip Butler was the only one that year. That number has increased, and obviously you're at the helm now. So what's changed in the the last decade or so?
5: Um, the underage structures are getting stronger and stronger, um, and th- there's kind of more games and a better pathway for for kids now. Definitely from the age of 14 upwards, there used to be a. A lack of games. Um, I think that's, that's improving and it's something that the board are still kind of really, really focusing their, their efforts on to, to make sure that kids stay in the game from 14 onwards. Um, there's also, look, I mentioned the London born junior squad. That's a new initiative that came in the last 18 months. Um, that, that will further strengthen the whole thing. Um, but I just think managers, um, Paul Coggins obviously was there in 13 when they got to the Connaught final. Um, Liam Gavigan had been on the London panel previous to that. Um, a couple of lads, Sean Hickey, who's still on the London panel, have been on it previous to that. So, like, the door had been opened a few years before that, I'd say, to London born lads. Um, Kieran Dealy came after him and and gave lads an opportunity. But, um, look, we're very much, we're, we're, we're not bringing lads in for the sake of bringing lads in. We're bringing the best players in the county in. And, um, the 10 lads that are in there are well worthy of their place in that extended group at the moment.
2: How many clubs do you actually have a pick from?
5: Um, there's there's eight teams in the senior division eight in intermediate and nine in junior so um, some of those are double ups to like Tia Connell Gales and St Kiernans, for instance they've got a senior team and a junior team um, so there, there's the guts of kind of 22, 23, 24 clubs um, that we have to pick from
2: And in terms of the split season is that all going to work out well for you in the long run do you think or is, that, is there going to be players who maybe come over for a part of the year and go back and play with their clubs do you have any inkling yet about what the impact might be?
5: Well, to play for London, you have to have played um, with a club in London in the previous year's Championship or or a Championship game. So um, the lads would have had to have shown some level of commitment to to be able to play for London in the first place. Um, But I think the split season is a good thing all round. It it means the clubs have got kind of a defined period of time where they know they're going to have access to their entire panel. But over here, the clubs are looking to get up and running at the end of March kind of with um, knockout Cup games. And then whenever our involvement in the Championship finishes this year, hopefully we go deep into the summer, fingers crossed. Um, but look, we, we, we'd be all back playing club league games with all players kind of guaranteed from the end of June, early July onwards with the championship then to follow. So I think it does, it gives clubs a, a chance to build their identity even further. Um, whereas before kind of it dragged out a little bit longer so I think it can only have benefits for the for for the entire 32 counties that are involved.
2: And the other thing obviously that's coming in is the Talcham Cup. Is that going to be a big opportunity for you guys to showcase deeper and and hopefully have some home games in front of big crowds?
5: Definitely. Um, The thing is whatever performance you may have put up in the Continent Championship previously, kind of you're you're at the the lap of the gods as to who you're going to face in the qualifiers. So I think Tyrone playing for Manor in the first round of Ulster this year and like, had, had Tyrone suffered a disaster and lost to For and we lost to Leitrim. You'd, you could end up playing Tyrone away in the first round of the qualifier and face kind of a mammoth task. Whereas, look, no matter what happens in the Connacht Championship for us, win, lose or draw in those, those first couple of games, if we end up in the Towton Cup, kind of, you know, at least you, you've got kind of a winnable opportunity against the Division 3 or 4 team coming up. And I think that just makes it easier to keep the group motivated and kind of press press things forward. Um, whereas before, kind of, it was a toss of a coin as to who you may face. So, um, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Hopefully the green proposal gets through a Congress as well and will give you even more games in the championship. Um, but I, I do think the touting cup for a county like ourselves will, will have massive benefits.
2: Michael, what was your own journey to end? How did you end up coaching at inter-county level with London?
5: Um, I was in soccer for a long time and then once the soccer opportunity finished with Red Hill, um, my club Round Towers. We're looking for a manager, and kind of the, the, it fell at the right time. So I got involved with them, managing the, the men's and ladies teams. There we had kind of good success. We improved things along the way. Uh, Kieran Deely contacted me in uh, 2018 for the 19 season and gave me a chance to come in as the coach, um, which w- was a wonderful learning opportunity. A great, great time. We had a, a relatively stable year. We, we ran Galway very close in the Connacht Championship. Um, and then the chance came up to, to, to go for the manager's job. And look, it was something that, um, I certainly didn't want to turn down. I was delighted to get the opportunity and, um, look, haven't looked back since then. I guess it's been a tough couple of years not being involved, but, and um, look, the chance is there now. And as I said, look, we, we, we've just really focused on doing what we can do to get this group to the, to the, to the, to, the, to kind of the best of their abilities, develop them as best we can. And, um, We've got a fantastic management team, fantastic group of players, and everyone's rowing in the same direction, which is wonderful.
2: Was Round Towers your club as a kid?
5: It was, yeah. Round Towers in football and Sean traces in hurling.
2: And and pardon my my uh, knowledge of London geography is terrible. Whereabouts in
5: London is that? We're South London. We're um, we're down in Mitcham, down near Carshalton in Surrey. So um, yeah, we're a long way long way south. We have long journeys for most of our games, but. Um, yeah wonderful opportunity we've a good club there we've underage structure a ladies' team men's team um was was great growing up kind of being involved in the g a my dad was heavily involved as well so um it's great to kind of be at the have gone full circle now and be at the top end of it where um where where, where I'm able to kind of make an impact from the top and hopefully keep the club growing strong uh,
2: it it's it's from the outside it seems like a real sign of the vibrancy of the club scene where somebody who isn't uh, a transplant from Ireland going over to London is actually in charge. It, it's somebody who's come through the system their whole life and understands exactly how difficult it is to get to matches, what the other allure of the other sport is going to be, so that when you're having conversations with players, it's like you've, you fully understand what the nuances of those conversations are, what the pull for everybody and and the push for, for players to play is. Were you conscious of, of having just a, a deeper understanding of what the situation was than somebody who's just come over to London for 18 months taking the gig and is there as as everybody is in the megalopolis for who knows how long?
5: Um, definitely I, th- I think having grown up in London it, hel- it helps you understand the kind of the, the, the scene a little bit better but um, in fairness like Paul Coggins has been here a long time Kieran have been here a, a good while before me so um even manager was kind of like a, a blowing Noel Dunning before them um, I, th- I think I, I the one thing that we kind of try and do as a management team is is appreciate the difficulties lads do have in London with their jobs the distances like they do have to travel and the the, the kind of the, the awkwardness of getting to training just with the transport system here and um uh look we we try and be as open as possible with the players and we ask for their commitment and flexibility uh, if they can't make training that they they do catch up sessions and um Look, we've we've got a really good group of players. They they rarely miss trainings. Um, we've been very lucky in terms of the games; they, they they've they've all been available, um, work wise. So we do have a good a good understanding that, that there can be difficulties sometimes. But um, look, I think being London born does help to a degree. But. Um, does it, does it, does it have a huger impact? I don't think so. I just think, um, it's, it's, in, whoever's in place just has to understand that, um, lads are in a different city and maybe their employers aren't as understanding that they need to get out on the dot of five to make training at half seven as they may do if they're at home in Ireland. But look, it's one of them things. It's just a small thing we have to, we have to get over. Uh, I did see as well that you've made access to your games free in
3: Roy Lip throughout this National League campaign. How important is it that, the next generation and that people around the community in London do see what's happening at the moment because the team is successful right now.
5: Big time. The board deserve massive credit for that initiative. It's, uh, it, it was wonderful. I think there was the guts of a thousand people in there for the, the Waterford game Um the, uh, the Mayo hurling game the week after there was six, seven hundred there was a, a horrendous weather conditions that day um, it, it's, it's fantastic and just to see a younger generation of players coming in to watch the games is is wonderful and that's always something that I've got my eye on that the, the next kind of the next batch of kids coming through the ones that may be pulling on that shirt in 15 years they're out kind of watching today's heroes so um, yeah look it's, it's wonderful it's great to have noise behind you as well I can remember going out to watch London in the National League myself growing up as a kid and there may have been 150 200 people there so it was great to see the stand fall i hope kind of we we get a good following this weekend against wexford um and yeah look the board board deserve massive credit they had go games on at half time and it's lovely to see the kids out on the pitch and i think as a kid when you when you know you're getting an opportunity to play on the best ground in the county it's, it's just another another pull to get to that game
3: was promotion a target at the start of the year michael because it's all of a sudden become a conversation now
5: Definitely not. And look, it's still not a conversation within our group. We're, we're very much living the, um, the old cliches, just game by game. And um, look, we're up for a big battle this weekend. I think if we get over this weekend and we've got eight points, then, then maybe you could have one eye on um, uh, uh, a league final. But um, at this moment in time, we're, we're aware we've been in some very, very tight scrapes. And uh, if we can get over this weekend, we'd be absolutely thrilled. But uh, there was definitely no talk of promotion and there's still no talk of promotion in the group.
2: Well, we wish you the very best. To look, it's a great story, Michael. Uh, long way to continue. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers.
5: Thanks very much, Ledge. Thanks for having us on.
2: That's Michael Mara there, the uh, manager of the London Footballers. It is a great story. Ah,
5: oh, it's brilliant.
3: It's absolutely fantastic. Just to, uh, like, cause you, I, I definitely heard a lot um, just having family over in New York uh, about how the next generation there are um, kind of taking up the mantle, and there's a lot of native players who, who are playing the sport picking it up and obviously the the best athletes are going to be uh, I guess, I guess there will be a lot of competition for their services when it comes to trying to get scholarship for colleges and all that sort of stuff and it makes a lot of lucrative sense for them to, to not play Gaelic games whereas in London maybe you don't have that problem where uh, there isn't the whole collegiate system with, with athletics and all that so maybe there's actually a bigger prospect for London to have more native players over the next little while and, and that's how these teams go to the next level. They've got something that the other Division 4 teams don't have, which is a gigantic population base.
2: Yeah, well, you also keep seeing that uh, the team's doing really well at Fela. If you could just get a couple of those groups to come through together at the same at the yeah. same level. I mean, obviously, Fela is not intra county but, um, you know, great players have come through that age group and had good times and experienced it and they get to go away. and you know. So uh, it would be pretty amazing to see them become competitive but the, the the barriers are so huge, like the the journey time. It's it's kind of Mayo-esque uh, trips to training for some of the players. Uh, Luke says Michael Maher, round to Tara's legend. I I did want to ask, is it Mar or Maher? Because you know Johnny Maher from the Smiths was a Maher from Kildare. Oh really? Maher was from Athy. Yeah. There you go. I didn't. Uh, well, I didn't. Oh, I didn't know it was ever spelt uh, Maher. Well, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Manny and Johnny Maher's maz Maher lived a uh, hundred and fifty yards apart. Right. Um, in a tie, and then moved to Manchester and great music happened Mm -hmm. Uh, so weird hearing this accent talk about GA. says Broan it's absolutely brilliant I'm 31 it's one of my biggest hopes that I'd live to 100 and I'll witness a GA World Cup fair play to all involved in London Uh, certainly keeping the flame alive we've got to take a quick break it is 8.21 we'll be right back with the papers after this OTB a. All right, it's 8.22. We can run you through the sports pages. Still to come a little bit later on, we're going to talk with Graham Hunter about the Champions League and we're also going to uh, talk with Keen Tracy about the Ireland team that should play this weekend against Italy. We can start with Uh Matt Williams talking about the worst thing the Six Nations can do is change on Monday Night Rugby. We will bring you that a little bit later on. Um... The medical staff should have access to VAR monitors to combat concussion. That's uh, Pat Nevin. Uh, certainly, it, it exists in uh, rugby. Uh, Will Connors, unfortunately, out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. It's a cartilage clean-up, is what it sounded like yesterday. And then James Lowe, obviously, back in the Ireland squad. And we're still running Roy McElroy's comments because they're so sensational. Really, uh, Sports Tuesday: the front page of the. Uh, Irish Times sports section. No illusion, just simple physics behind end scoring pass to Dupont. We we didn't really. It wasn't the most, the grossest injustice that Irish sport has ever suffered at the Stade de France. It's not even close, is it? No, it's uh, it's. I mean, look, it does look forward. It's just that we're 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 too thick to understand that it's physics.
3: Yeah, Matt Williams has been good on this subject in the past. Like, I remember that there was a kind of a similar pass against England in 2019 and it looked forward but he was explaining that actually you know
2: didn't we benefit from didn't Uge go over in the corner in one of the games that actually would have been a heartbreaking defeat for us but actually yeah. they could have given it for the championship yeah, was like 2014 they could have given that yeah. and we would have been like well that's just physics but then physics it's physics changed, changes yeah. apparently uh, laggy said to flatten anything in his path of all of the things that frightens us the most I mean if, if they brought the Vinopola brothers back if they were to reanimate them and put the three of them in the team against Ireland maybe he'll just do that just to piss us off yeah the 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 husk of the Vinopola brothers still swatting us aside yeah God I mean they, they, they,
3: like certainly that that coterie of players would send shivers down our spine but like I guess the one
2: saving grace is that it's not a World Cup year right Desi's dubs are in crisis this is the back page headline on the Irish Independent Desi's dubs are in a crisis I just Ladies and gentlemen, I would bring you back 15 minutes in your life to, if you've just joined us, you missed this, to the power rankings where actually Owen, who's never wrong, promoted the dubs after they got beaten, dismantled by Mayo at the weekend. There it is. They're in green. Green is good. As we know, green green means go. Green is the proposal we're all going to vote for because it's green. It's that. Is that easy? I prefer the proposal red, actually. I prefer the proposal red too, but uh, they made it green. So therefore, green for go. Uh, No change. Kerry, Mayo, Armagh, Tyrone are the top four. Armagh number three, Kerry one, Mayo two, Armagh three, Tyrone four, and Dublin five. Dublin have been promoted after they're defeated at the weekend. No,
3: Donegal have been demoted. But Dublin have have gone. What do you want me to do? Just leave Donegal at six and Monaghan at. Or put them, Monaghan and Dublin both at six or something and just leave five vacant?
2: You could have done that.
3: You could have been creative. uh, You you have a big brain. You can fix this. I I really don't, but. Uh, thank you for suggesting that I do. I, I I just think that who are Dublin worse than Donegal or Monaghan? Right now, is the question I asked myself, and my answer I concluded that no, they're not. Right. I was a, 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 a I waited up.
2: Uh, right.
3: Well, what are you googling? You can you can sh- share it with the room there.
2: I'm just uh, I'm just checking results
3: yeah <laughs> what, what results are you you're looking at well, I'm here? just checking
2: to see when when we're going to see uh Monaghan versus Dublin what, when are we going to see this oh
3: last game of the season
2: uh, I'm Norbert. just trying to trying to fix it here
3: um I I don't know but like I'm, I'm sure that so we had Anthony Moyles on yesterday he seems pretty confident that Dublin's them are about to go on an uptick of form. That it was their better, better. Uh, it was a better performance than what we saw against Armagh, against Kerry, against Mayo at the weekend. And part of me agrees with him, but part of me also says that let's just wait a little while and let's see them lose to Monaghan and to Donegal until they there this weekend before are they, we start are bringing they
2: in them. crisis. So, so do you agree with Column Kizo that like I guess that we're having a discussion about the papers here, and um, I think that it's too early to say they're in crisis just yet because because of the players that they're cycling through and they know what they're doing with the cycle through of the players. The style of play has yet to be established, right? And that would be the, the main concern, is that players are doing things that doesn't seem to be part of a pattern. But is that the type of thing that, um, you know, the two or three victories that they'll have in the Leinster Championship will give them the confidence to, to go ahead? There's still a bunch of players who will come into the team, who will improve the team. But we haven't seen Conor Callaghan be Footballer of the Year material, for a while it's a couple of seasons ago since he was like Mm. all conquering
3: the thing is that the patterns of play are so strange in attack at the moment that I know we've said it a couple of times already but it just has to improve over the next little while the the attacking game plan is so aimless some of the balls are kicking away just so so needless to, to be doing that so that just has to change over over the, the next few weeks. It just has to. There is there is no way that those players have been completely deserted of their talents. And there's when we start to, to gauge whether or not they're in crisis, you have to ask what does crisis look like for Dublin? For me, it's losing in the Leinster Championship. If Dublin end up losing the Leinster Championship, that is that is the mark of a crisis. So, are they on or a quarter final? <clears throat> I guess it depends who the quarter final opponent is. But yeah, I guess you could put that in there as well. If they don't make the semi-finals, I guess you could say it is. It is because it's a, it's a step back. But I would definitely say that if they lose to a team in Leinster, that that is the mark of a of a team in crisis. Of this team in crisis, and I still think that we're we have a little way to go for them to be that bad just yet.
2: I don't think survival in the league is important to them at all. Really, I I actually because again talk about this, but I was having this conversation. Colin Boyle was on the show on Friday night, and uh, I I do see a scenario where. So their their remaining league games are uh in Newbridge, in Oma, Donegal at home and Monaghan away. So three away. Maybe that'll suit them, who knows, right? Uh I can see them I would make them favourites for the game in Newbridge. They'll Tyrone are not playing brilliantly in the league and don't really care about it, right? I mean let's see with the four players back and a win yeah. how better they are next week it's possible that that's them getting into championship mode but they don't care because they know they're all Ireland contenders and they just need to make sure that everybody's fit for the start of the Ulster Championship that's the only thing that matters to them so I can see Dublin getting something from that game Tony Gall at home you're saying they're ahead of I, them I, the would, I would have some favourites in that yeah in, in Croker and then at at Clonus on Sunday the 27th of March Monninger Mon- Mon- moved that game to Inneskeen is it possible that Monaghan are already thinking we're safe?
3: We can't win this. Not a chance. Will Monaghan be safe? Come, well, sorry, I, I'm not, I don't want to say that there's not a chance of anything happening. That's that, that's always the wrong thing to say. But I I would expect Monaghan to still be fighting to stay up
2: in that last. Week. Okay, so you think it'll be important to them? And the yeah, I think so. Full team, full board should try and win that game in advance of the imminent Ulster Championship, which starts in April this year.
3: Yeah, like I I I think that there is. Like I, I know that James Dunne who was saying at the start of the year that Tyrone could be in relegation trouble I think I've seen enough already for them to get themselves out of that I think it'll be Dublin, Donegal, Monaghan, Kildare uh, fighting it out to, to stay in the division at the end of it but Dublin could easily change that with a couple of wins all of those teams can change it with a couple of wins But even
2: if they go down, even if Dublin go yeah. down having tried 50 players right? And at least
3: they've gained something
2: Well, they, I, I don't think it matters like yeah. if you're if you're Desi Farrell and you're like, Oh, I stayed up in division one of the league, it's amazing. It's like, no it's not. They, I I don't think it's they're gonna say trying to get the, the team to win games and get confidence is really important. But if you're if you're telling me that they win the rest of those games and then go on and have a great season afterwards, I'm not shocked by that because like they've used the league to get game time into players, to discover some players, to get like to get everybody championship fit to get James McCarthy Championship fit to get Conor Callahan Championship fit to get Costello back Championship fit that's a team that's going to run anybody close and I think that the whole point of being a good manager is trying your best
3: to see things before they happen and if Desi Farrell came into the season seeing that this squad was thin as hell before everybody else did then at least that's something and he realised that how do I ensure that this Squad, I guess, kind of irons itself out, or I get an ideal pecking order. Or I find out who's actually ready for the battle and who can handle a few defeats. or I throw them straight into the fire. Maybe that's how he's he's approached this. There are other elements to it as well. It's not just about the, the quality of, of player that that's there and the thinness of the squad, the the direction of of how they're playing, the the, the wide open sea at the back those two areas are, are the most baffling like the conveyor belts drying up is fair enough that's understandable but the lack of direction in an attack and leaving themselves so open at the back has happened three
2: games in a row and that, I think that's, that has people scratching their head more than anything else Mark Durning says relegation becomes a big deal if the Championship goes badly for Dublin and it obviously has a knock-on effect for next year the other side about that is the knock-on effect for next year is that the team will come into the Championship next year high on confidence from having slashed their way through Division 2 a la Mayo last year Like, these Division 1 teams who have a year in Division 2, it's actually not a bad thing for them at all. And they
3: were were regenerating as well last year with a few new players who got game time in Division 2. So they
2: utilise that to their... confidence-building scenario as opposed to, uh, here's a team who's scrapping it out and, like, coming up against the defenders from... Tyrone week on week or the quality of defenders that you come up against Tyrone and Donegal who are, you know, like, it's a, a difficult enough experience for
3: a 19-year-old forward. Now, I would say, in, in like, to counter that, is that Dublin should have a strong enough conveyor belt of talent to say that their kids are good enough to be tested against Division 1 teams. I would agree. The time, and, I would and, agree. Not, and not necessarily challenged for the title, but to be staying in the division. I, look,
2: I, I would agree and I think that something, something happened where... <laughs> so, I, if you remember... Um, that great group of jockeys came through together at the same time. Uh, Ruby Walsh, uh, Carberry, Barry Garrity, and a few others and there was nothing behind them. There was nothing for ages. And I remember, like, why why is the next generation of jockeys? Well, because there's no room for them because we were there. We took the place. We got all the good rides. We won all the big races and so that next generation didn't have anything to flower for them. So, post the greatest generation of Gaelic footballers that we've ever seen there haven't been that many players coming through, one or two a year, which was all you needed to regenerate a great team. Now that all of those players are gone, you're left with the one or two a year who came through, and nothing came through at the same time as them. So let's see. Like, it, you know, um, McDay came through. Was he 27 when he won an All Star for the first time? Right. Was he? I don't know. He certainly, sure. he wasn't. He wasn't 20 or 21. He might have been 24 or 25. Yeah. But he wasn't a kid, right? So. I would expect that there will be more of those players to come through who haven't been in development squads. Uh, Again, to go back to to Boyle, it's like he came in, got dropped off the panel for three years and then went away and came back and was ready to go as like a 24, 25 year old. Those players are the ones that Dublin need to find and that will, I would say, is the biggest kind of untapped, the the money ball aspect of their selection stuff because the, the development squads are producing players who are Nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Who aren't quite ready yet?
3: No, and uh, like I, I don't think anybody's ever saying that that they would be. It needs to be generational talents who who kind of come through and be able to make it at this level. Especially the way Gaelic games is so physical at the moment. And like even when you look at Tyrone last year, like a lot of them were were players who who did win in under twenty-one All Ireland, and it took years for them to get to the stage of them. Look at actually.
2: McCurry dropped off panel.
3: Yeah. So, like th- those are the stories that we're actually seeing right now, and I think that, uh, uh, there's a similar story with a lot of the top teams at the moment. Um, like, I, th- I think maybe in, in hurling, obviously it's a, it's a younger man's game, but in this game, you're waiting until your mid twenties before a, a generation comes through. And like, it, it seems that we've kind of like rushed conclusions on so many of these players. Like, Kieran Archer, for example. I mean, like it, it, the conversation around him, now was like, oh, he 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 was a great under twenty what, one. What happened to him? It's like, what do you mean, what happened to him? Let's be patient here for a while. Give him a couple of seasons, give him a couple of years actually getting into the conditioning programme of being a senior and, and maybe that underage promise will manifest itself in a in a player in his mid-twenties who's, who's going to be excellent for Dublin eventually. The thing with them is that they've got such a good chance of a handful of those players coming good in their mid-twenties because of, of the situation they're in.
2: I, I think, listening to Moise yesterday and listening to Billy Joe as well, last night, There's I, I, I ain't writing the dubs off at all. I think that... Um, it's it's the worst of all worlds for us fans of counties who are close to them it's like they feel slighted they're hiding in the long grass with all their medals it's like the, that's that glint oh shoot that glint yeah and like the whole <laughs> sniper shoot that glint <laughs> the, the whole, don't let that glint turn into a snake the, the whole thing is, has
3: been like the, the motivation like oh you've got Pat's blama saying the other night you know it just, it's just becomes another medal but like I think that motivation I think that's a hard thing to, to garner at this time of year Later in the year, when, you know... it There's one inside. Yeah, when there's one inside, it's like
2: they go into full magpie form and then it's like... Yeah, uh, now, look, maybe their best players have all come off a peak. Maybe Fenton is not as good now as he was three or four seasons ago. Maybe uh, Kilkenny isn't as dominant because they're not surrounded. Every, like The players making the runs aren't all-time greats. It's not Werner Brogan inside anymore. Mm. It's somebody else who has to find their own way. So, I look, I don't know. I, I'm talking against myself here mildly defending your decision to move the dubs up a bit um, some green shoots but I still feel that you're, you're trying to poison the well uh, to do your bit for the Kerry Mafia
3: there's always there is no mafia there's always tactics involved
2: number one Kerry like streaking ahead of everybody at the moment early season champions yeah for whatever I mean, the, they're winning the league the off season
3: and, that, and that's no different to the last few years we've seen this one before Jer. Getting ahead of themselves.
2: OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette. Your best face forward with than you and improved razors. You can get involved in that conversation. All the rest of the papers, um, it's kind of a, a bunch of different things. Romcom, Lukaku form, no joke. He wasn't involved. We must solve it. And David Destea, tab of the morning to you. Keep her ready to remain for life. I'll be ready to remain for life. 400 grand a week. Thank you very much. That's like, yeah, absolutely. Can't get it anywhere else. Um, look, De Gea, good signing for all that money. Or a bad signing for all that money to uh, Kerry Mafia texting you there?
3: No actually it's an Italian restaurant too We may or may not have uh, mentioned earlier on So uh, I mean you having pasta for breakfast pa- Pasta for breakfast Pasta for dinner Pasta for lunch
2: 8.38 this morning Carl Melanians. is with us call, good morning to you Morning lads how are we? Good Do you like pasta for breakfast? No No. Do you I like pasta? After 10am Are, you, are you? pasta man? yeah Yeah Italian yeah, pasta food pasta. is the best right? Yeah Italian food is oh, the best yeah. by a mile And it's not even close Spain, Portugal, that's the hierarchy and then France. I'll take your paté, France. But that's it. That's
3: it, right. Okay, yeah, like, uh, in in terms of European cuisine, I think it's definitely number 1, right? By a mile. Yeah. And it's not close. Yeah.
2: You go to you go to a crappy service station on the motorway and they have this amazing stone baked pizza that they do for you right there and it's the nicest pizza you've ever had and it's 150. <laughs> Yeah, why are you laughing? This is true. I I'm no, telling you I, truth bombs here.
3: I guess it is no laughing matter. This is this is quite serious. But uh, it is delicious. Like 150 is. We get Papa John's. It's it's. it's la- la- that's yeah. Ah, I mean, nothing wrong with
2: Papa John's. I mean, I ain't, I'm not a fan of Mr. Papa John.
3: I mean, even you, like I mean, stodgy pizza is even nice. It's, it's
4: not.
2: like in, ice, in that's, a that's a lie. There's that, that's the one of the great lies. It's told. There's not such thing as bad pizza. There is. There is sorry, no. Loads there isn't. Of, there, there is isn't loads of. Thing, of. It as turns out. Itself. It turns out when you've had the good stuff, <laughs> can't go back. Yeah, that's yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Carl. Sorry, what's going on?
0: Church <laughs> well, lost the yeah. Thinking about Papa <laughs> think John's pizza. Carry <laughs> <laughs> top of the power rankings. They are number one. Rightly so. Rightly Her so. No. Um, in terms of news this morning, the island, island of Ireland could be set to host a quarter of games at Euro 2028. That's if the bid to host the tournament is successful. The FAI, of course, part of a joint venture with the football associations in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England to win the right to host and it could be up to 12 games in the tournament's current guise if the reports are to be believed. Uh, elsewhere today on the football front, Vera Powell's Republic of Ireland round off their Pinatar Cup campaign. They take on Wales. That's in the third place playoff in Spain of that tournament. Heather Payne is set to be available. She's Covered from a groin injury. Kickoff for that match at the Pinatar Arena is at half two. In the Champions League tonight, Lille against Chelsea. Chelsea uh, have home advantage with that one at Stamford Bridge. Kickoff is at eight o'clock. Also tonight, in the last 16, Italian Giants Juventus go to Villarreal. That game underway as well from eight.
2: Can I not say Lille? Was that not my answer in the quiz? And you were like, oh, not Lille. You said lawns. up oh, balls. Okay. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, elsewhere today in cricket big game coming up for Ireland uh, later this morning actually a place at the T20 World Cup is at stake they'll qualify for the tournament in Australia if they beat Oman in their qualifier semi-final that game due to get underway in Oman at 10 o'clock Irish time and that tournament is later this year in Australia. In tennis, Novak Djokovic made a winning return. He played for the first time since the controversy over his vaccine status last month. He was in action last night. He beat Lorenzo Massetti in straight sets. That was at the Dubai Tennis Championships. Djokovic had his visa cancelled of course ahead of last month's Australian Open and was subsequently deported. Uh, Andy Murray was in action as well. He beat Australia's Christopher O'Connell at that Dubai tournament. Uh, In snooker, Fergal O'Brien in action at the European Masters. That's in Milton Keynes later this morning. He faces Yu Yizeh of China this afternoon. Antrim's Jordan Brown plays the world number one, uh, Mark Selby. And there's racing today as well, lads. That's at Navan. That's a rearranged uh, card and an eight-race program there scheduled to get underway at ten past one. What's the weather like outside? And we were on our way in, it was like biblical. Yeah, yeah. Still bad? It's a bit drier. Okay. Um, hopefully it goes ahead. Um, but the weather, obviously, over the weekend was just... Dreadful But it's a little bit better now We should have been doing Like uh, weather forecast updates On this show every morning Could have got mm. A green screen call <laughs> Think I could pull it off I think so I absolutely think some, so Sun <laughs> yeah, What game were you at The weekend Carl? Uh, would you believe I went to Galway Against Offaly And I was there 10 minutes And then the game was called off Right yeah. Are you one of those people Who's like relieved When it happens uh, No not really uh, I was looking, looking forward to it But that game was obviously In Salt Hill, So I think an orange wind warning Had just come into place So they had to uh, Call it off It was definitely the right call uh, there was a lot of rain and wind around, but I mean, I think a lot of the ma- uh, I know Sligo's match was called off. A couple of games in Division Three were called off uh, over the weekend. Um, pitches took a lot of rain, but the wind was just crazy, crazy. But yeah. I have to say, I enjoyed um, Kildare and Tyrone was a really good game. And I know you were chatting about the Dubs. I think Kildare might win Leinster. Yeah, say it
2: quietly, I think so. Oh,
3: no, say, <laughs> say it louder. I mean, like, I mean, I get a lot of stick <laughs> for like playing down chances here in the show, but like I mean, I think the same thing is happening here with Kildare. I,
2: I just think that the the game smarts to see at that game at the weekend is something that the team has to develop yeah. and evolve. And they will develop and evolve that. And they have the right people on the on the tiller at the moment. But yeah. it's you know, there's just bits where you need to sit there in the video and, and go through it again and kind of feel your skin crawl a little bit and go, ah oh. But now's the time to be making those mistakes, isn't it, rather than
0: Definitely. April and May. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, do you not think like there was a time in the first half where
3: Tyrone could have just banged in a couple of goals and mm, all of a yeah, sudden yeah. Tyrone would have been playing badly and there were six points up. I know, again, we're talking about situations that didn't actually materialise and maybe Kildare deserve credit for, for kind of keeping the head in those moments. But could it could not have been could it not have been a bigger chasm between these teams and with
0: the Tyrone suspension? Possibly, possibly. But Kildare's shooting wasn't 100% either. True, out, yeah. Uh, that they could have had a few more scores on the board. But they just, they're, just, they're very athletic, aren't they, around the field and it seems to be a great enthusiasm.
2: That can mean a lot and I guess... The competition. That's who we are. That's our, our, the (laughs) Caldera team's identity is athletic, fast, handle, great handling and Kicking wides, unfortunately. Mm. So if we could just get that little bit out, it'd be sensational. They're great to watch, but it helps. But the are games are brilliant. Yeah, yeah, they are.
0: Yeah,
3: and you've got two inside forwards who are genuinely excellent. That helps with the whole wide scenario. And you have got Kerwin coming back hopefully over the next little while as yeah. well. That's another option inside. That full forward line will, will cause problems. It's a game I want to see. Yeah. Dublin against Kildare in the good weather for sure. That's what.
2: They're, yeah. They're, they're yes. definitely sold be out, good out good as well, isn't it? Well. Dublin
0: Kildare at the weekend. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, despite Paddy Andrews' best effort this has not been moved to Park it's uh, 8.44 call good stuff thanks a million That's more from Colin Mulaney across the day on otbsports.com and a reminder OTB AM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward are their new and improved razors we're getting to rugby with Key and Tracy next first here's a little taste of Monday Night Rugby where some shade was being thrown at the Aviva Stadium in terms of its atmosphere
4: uh, Danny Kerr and Sam Warburton on their uh, BBC podcast they were asked to pick to rank the uh, six. Six Nation stadiums and here's what they've come up with number six in last place Stadio Olimpico so we had Warburton saying it's not city centre stadium quite far away and also if the games were more competitive that would help and Danny Kerr agreed great trip but the games aren't the greatest and that does come into it at number five the second worst stadium in the Six Nations the Aviva Stadium (laughs) is where we are so Danny Kerr says Irish fans are going to hate me even more now uh, Sam Warburton says it's a beautiful lovely stadium amazing atmosphere but it's still in its infancy as a ground Danny Kerr says it's a three quarters stadium that bit at the end I understand the planning issues but imagine how much better it would be if it was full I mean I'm feeling defensive right now but it's hard to argue with that point a little bit isn't it and uh, Warburton says it, it is a bit funny that bit though he, he does say if Crow Park was their ground for the last 20 years it'd be a completely different conversation Danny Kerr says it'd probably be number one
2: That's interesting. Uh, So, that's a clip from Monday Night Rugby. Keen Tracy, Rugby Cross with the Irish Independent, is with us. Um, The Aviva unfinished and not a great atmosphere seems to be what the rest of the world thinks about us, Keen. I tend to agree with that.
1: Yeah, I listened to the lads chat um, last night. I think when the Aviva is full and there's a big team in town, which is obviously not all the time, it's unbelievable. I think like the atmosphere for the All Blacks game last November was genuinely one of one of the best. And I think you'd say the same about the last time they played. But yeah, no, I'd agree. I think
2: there's a the, huge problem. The, the point about that is it's November where it's not the same ticketing as the Six Nations, which seem to be kind of blocked tickets that have gone to you know there's just I, I always find the makeup of the crowd for Six Nations game is different from November International yeah do you, do you mean by the pricing or who gets them I mean it seems to be easier to get tickets for November that they're not distributed through the traditional channels
1: yeah maybe I suppose I'm lucky that I'm not having to kind of scramble around for tickets that I just waltz into the press box but um, I, I've always thought there was an issue at the, the Aviva Stadium for like taking your seats late like the anthems could be playing and people are still streaming in Um in saying that, I think football is a, a little bit different because um, I've been at the last few Ireland games at the Aviva, and they've been absolutely incredible atmospheres. Think back to the Portugal game and things like yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it depends. I don't. I definitely wouldn't think that the Aviva is this like cauldron, you know, atmosphere. I was in the Stade de France a couple of weeks ago, and that's another level, another level altogether. Um, so, yeah, I don't think teams would be fearful of the, the hostile atmosphere or anything like that. Mm. And yes, we our record there is amazing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think
3: um, Declan Lynch was referring to our kind of like love for sawn off stadiums in this uh, country. People must come to Croke Park and to the Viva Stadium and be like, what the hell is going on there? Like, what's
1: what's the story? There's also a huge issue with like people getting points, which I've no issue people getting points, but like honestly, like if you, if you like at the, the Portugal match and stuff, like if you dip out the queues for the bars, like during the game, are incredible. I know the the Principality Stadium in Cardiff have addressed this I don't think you can you can get a point now anymore after half time to encourage people to sit in their seats but what happens and if and stop puking on children exactly yeah but what happens if you're six or seven points deep in at that stage and you go to the jacks it's still this up and down things and I think that's very frustrating for the people who were there like not for the day out as such but genuinely to watch, to watch the game the match, and yeah. I think
2: that impacts the atmosphere too too many day trippers at the at the Aviva is definitely a problem look let's talk about you've um, done a very interesting experiment uh You've picked your team for the game at the weekend and you've picked Andy Farrell's team and there's a significant difference. I mean, the most significant difference is at number 10. Your instinct at the moment seems to be that Johnny Sexton starts. No, Yeah, well, that would be... For Andy Farrell's team. I'm sure Andy Farrell would be
1: delighted that I've picked his team and I've picked (laughs) my my team as well, as if I know better, but... um yeah like I I don't know I like they've been a bit vague about Johnny Sexton's fitness so I think a lot will depend on that. Look it's a hamstring strain as well. I don't think they'll they'll take any chances particularly for the Italy game but I think if Johnny Sexton was fit my sense is yeah that Johnny Sexton would play and um, and that's certainly not the way I'd be thinking I'm I actually think this weekend even if Johnny Sexton was fully fit and playing really well is a no-brainer to give to give Joey Sexton or sorry Joey Carbery back-to-back starts. Um I think one thing that got overlooked when he did get to start against France a couple of weeks ago was that because Johnny Sexton pulled out so late on the, the Wednesday evening, Joey Carby didn't get to lead the team for the week, which is such a huge element of being an out-half and being the leader. So when they came into camp last week for a mini two day camp, it was only 23 players. And on the Friday, they went up against the 20s, which is always a, a, like a feisty session because the 20s, who are on for a Grand Slam now more than what the, the senior team are, um, are always looking to make an impression. But Johnny Sexton wasn't the one involved in that. It was Joey Carberry. So they'd had their review. Joey Carberry was giving his feedback and he was going, "Okay, implement it now against the 20s who are going to look to smash you. So um, I think it's an ideal opportunity to to go into this week and say to Joey Carberry yeah you're our man you're the man in charge of the jersey like like Irish rugby speaks so often about you know if you're in charge of the jersey leaving at a better place and things like that whereas I think Joey Carberry now is the man in possession of of the jersey I think we can talk about England further down the line because I think that's a different kettle of fish and you know you'll have to take the standard of opposition that awaits this weekend but if Joey Carberry shoots the lights out this weekend on the back of what I thought played very well in difficult circumstances in Paris then then you've got exactly what you want in terms of Andy Farrell. You've got a difficult selection headache and it's not maybe as much of a foregone conclusion as what it, what it has been in,
2: in the last couple of years. We're getting to an ideal scenario here where there's genuine competition for the place and what you think would be the right thing to do in the short term and the long term is give Carberry another opportunity not on the basis that Oh we we we're, we're taking a risk here. He played against France, the best team in the competition and played well. He wasn't amazing, but Johnny Sexton's performance where he was very good was against a really weakened Welsh team. Like we were we were saying, you know, Mark's out of 10, Sexton gets a higher mark out of 10 than Carberry does if that's your your um methodology for measuring this, but the context of like going up against the French who were trying to smash you and performing at the level you performed that's far more away from home. It's far more significant than a routine victory against the Welsh side who put the, the flag up pretty quickly. Yeah, I actually think it would be closer if you were if
1: you were going to think about it like that and doing marks at a same. I agree with you as well as Johnny Sexton played. And I do think it's important to, to stress that. I think the gap is still significant when both players are fully fit. But the problem is, as much as Johnny Sexton picks up injury, so does Joey Carberry. And that's probably why... He, Ireland are in this situation you know I thought it was interesting even that Jack Hardy you know finished out the game in Paris it was his first time playing since 2019 and we're still talking about the same things you know Jack Hardy hasn't had enough game time to come on and let's say Joey Carberry had pulled up after 50 minutes had got injured had got injured. Like, how are you expecting Jack Harty to to come on and, and play a game to that level when he hasn't played for Ireland since the 20, 2019 World Cup? So we're still in this model cycle. Like, we're, like we're obsessed. We're talking about it because it just won't go away. But also, we are talking about Johnny Sexton as one of the greatest players to ever have played the game, let alone one of the greatest Irish players. So anyone who comes in after that, it's a, it's a poison chalice because you're going to be judged at certain standards but Joey Carberry is not the same kind of out half as, as Johnny Sexton is so when he comes in I think there has to be not alterations to the game plan but it, they're different in how they lead they're different in how they approach like Johnny Sexton came in and basically you know grabbed O'Gara's jersey off him I don't think Joey Carberry has that kind of same ruthless
2: Well he did lose it to him in the World Cup quarter final as well like you know um uh, for the Australia game, was it the Australia game? We won it back, and then he he didn't see out the competition with it. Like there's definitely it was it wasn't uh, this happened one day. The king is dead, long live the king, and that was it.
1: Yeah, and it's funny actually. In in Paris as well, we've already started to have uh, Johnny Sexton cam just like we had Raj cam. The, the cameras panned him a couple of times, and he actually, I was watching it back, it didn't come across on TV, but uh, he got booed roundly uh, the two times. <laughs> by the French, yeah, right? Absolutely, which was... I'm like, surprised they didn't keep going back to him then. Yeah, so <laughs> you, suddenly now you're having like Johnny Sexton cam, and I've, I've listened to, to Ron Nogara talk about this with you guys actually, and you know, it, when someone is kind of just looking over your shoulder, a present and a personality is so big like that, I'd imagine it can be quite difficult and this is Joey Carberry's challenge now and that's why I think a week like this when he's told you're a man lead the week like don't have it like really vague in his head that oh we'll see how Johnny Sexton's hamstring is That's
2: exactly it isn't it? Back your man They can't go back to Sexton for the Italy game it makes no sense whatsoever you're taking away that opportunity that you're talking about but you're also taking away the opportunity to say you're right there now go for it Mm -hmm. and that's that that, that's what he's lacking. He's, he hasn't had a
1: chance to build up the confidence because he hasn't been fit enough. And that's the reality of it. I think if Johnny Sexton had been starting in Paris, it, 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 I don't necessarily think it would have made a big difference to, to the end result because I think he could have had Dan Carter in his prime playing in that first half and it wouldn't have made any difference at all because Ireland were getting monstered up front. The ball, the ruck ball was so slow. And actually Joey Carberry was a big reason why Ireland played their way back into the game, I thought. So um, if you're going to judge them off that performance, and like, it's Italy as well at the end of the day. Like, I'm sure once the players and coaches are coming out this week, we're going to have to listen to how much of a threat they pose. I had a look there earlier. I think the bookies make it 40 points. We've right. um, like, got to be real- realistic about what the, the scale of the challenge is. And even if someone comes in and does play well, I don't think anyone's going to get ahead of themselves either because, unfortunately,
2: it is only Italy. Like, I, I don't think they should play furlong in this game either. Really, is there, any, is there any need for us to see what Tyke Furlong can do in this game? There's definitely some players who you're thinking, mm. like, uh, it, in the long run it probably won't make that much difference, but an extra week of rest for the England game might give Tyke Furlong an extra 2% or an extra 3.5 minutes on the field against England to Twickenham and that might be the difference between swinging the game and not swinging the game.
1: Yeah, and you, you know what, Like we talk about the out-half situation so often, but, and that's kind of what the point of the piece I had in today's paper. I actually think there's a lot of positions in the Ireland squad where there's issues in the deck chart coming behind them. Um, I think tight head is absolutely one of them. I think loose head is one of them. I mean, for two props to play 73 minutes in the Stade de France, um, as impressive as it is, and you know, two like, unbelievable players, like, f- incredible fitness, and they were playing really well, that is a worrying sign for me, particularly when you come to a World Cup next year and you're gonna be asking these guys, you know, to be playing games every five days and you're you're talking about a game against Scotland, a game against South Africa, and potentially a, a World Cup quarter final against France or New Zealand. That is not sustainable to ask a tight head or a loose head to yeah. to play that long. And you look at France rolling a, a new front row off the bench after fifty five minutes, you know? So there are issues there. I think full back is another one. I think in the second row, like the, the fullback one isn't one that's been actually discussed very often because Hugo Keenan has been so good um, since he's made his debut in October 2020 he has played all 17 Ireland games, started every single one of them I think he's been taken off three times um, and they've all been kind of after the hour mark late in the game so as incredible as Hugo Keenan has been his durability, his level of consistency is so impressive we don't know who Ireland's back up our full back is and that is an issue as well and my concern is that Andy Farrell is going to play Hugo Keenan again this week because I think the 23 players who were kept in camp last week that is where the bulk of the team for this week is going, is going to come from I think the guys who were released back to their promises are on the back foot and Andy Farrell loves Hugo Keenan and like, like I said as good as he's been you've got to find out now who the back up players are. Who sorry, go on. I was gonna say
3: like who is that Because, like I mean, it does seem that Lowry is the one that everybody wants to see start and Italy would be a perfect opportunity. But you do get the feeling that if this was a World Cup quarter final this weekend and Hugo Keenan gets injured, Lowry isn't the next man up. It would be uh, if Jordan Larmour was fit it would, it would probably be him or, or somebody who has played at at full back for
1: Ireland. And no matter who you threw in there, you'd be mm. seriously concerned, and that is that is the issue. And um, as Conway,
2: I, I, I would we've Conway, we've had this
1: conversation a, a lot of times, and I'm totally, totally on board with it. But I just don't think it's it's going to happen at this stage. Um, you know, Jacob Stockdale, if he's fit, come to World Cup, is another one who could come back in. Um, I think Will Addison, all things being equal, but you just can't like build your hopes around a guy who's had that many injuries. Joey Carberry went there in November which I thought was very telling in the Argentina game um, when he came, when Harry Byrne came on Joey Carberry went to full back that was one of the, the three games actually that Hugo Keenan uh, came off in so I think you're right Like this weekend I think is made for for Michael Lowry you've got to see what this guy is capable of and he's been one of the best Irish players this season yeah. it's not like he doesn't merit, merit his chance you're not throwing out caps for, for the fun of it this guy has been outstanding this season. I think Jimmy O'Brien is like he's highly unlikely to feature this weekend, but he's a very very interesting addition to the to the squad as well. So there are a few issues there that I think really now is the
2: time to to find out where the next next man in is. Um that that uh, two-day session, that 23-man squad that you were talking about, who was in it? The starting team
1: essentially. I mean, that the squad of the, the bulk of the 23 who played against uh, France would have been in it. So you're talking about all the, the guys who've played two games, particularly who've started two games, are uh, in it They kept... Um, I'd say the likes of Rob Herring didn't go back to Ulster because Ronan Keller is out injured now. So he'll provide cover, you'd imagine, for, for Dan Sheehan. And I think, Jer on your point about Tyg and I actually agree in principle with you, but I'm trying to put myself into Andy Farrell's head a little bit and if you're going... Okay, we're gonna start Dan Sheehan in his first six nation start again, albeit against Italy. You kinda wanna see how he'll do with the the starting front road, you know what I mean? So I don't think you it's unrealistic to think that Ireland are gonna make fifteen changes. And if they did they would still beat Italy well, I think, but I think you want if you're embedding players within the team, I think you wanna see
2: them pay. I get that. I do get that. I think that James Ryan should definitely play. I'm not sure about Furlong just because he's so important to us, but I, 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 I can see the, the case for it. But that, then you get back to your case of, like, uh, do we play Craig Casey? And actually, it would be good to see Craig Casey with sex and see what that looks like. And it's. Y- you can make the case on either side. You would just hope that the conservative nature of Irish selection over the last few decades is actually a thing of the past. And it feels like it has been. Like, mm-hmm. the, the Mac Hansen selection was. A bit left field. You had Tyke Byrne moving to six, I think, did you?
1: Yeah, I, I just think it would be interesting. I don't think, I'm a massive fan of Jack Conan. and I don't think he's been at his best uh, over the first two games. actually been taken off in, in both of them as well, and they have gone this way with Caelan Doris at eight. I think Caelan Doris playing six at the moment is, I don't know how long that's going to last, because in my mind, he's the best number eight in the country, but Jack Conan had the, the season of his life last year, got on the line sort played, started all three tests and was one of the few players who actually enhances his, his reputation on the tour of South Africa. So I think it would just be interesting, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Ireland being overpowered and stuff, and I don't think you you depower it by taking you know, but by putting Ian Henderson into the second row because that's the one thing that people say that he's a tight head scrummager, you know, behind furlong and whatnot so I think it would be interesting to see that balance because I think Ty Byrne is undroppable at the moment um, he, he, it's just a question of where he plays and I think Andy Farrell would be really keen to to get Ian Henderson minutes I think he'll be really keen to get Robbie Henshaw minutes um, I asked him last week at the press conference about the issue of you know the props playing that long and you know he said it was his call it was the, the feel of the game they were playing really well but I think the lack of impacts that he got off that bench is a big concern as well. I think, I think at the moment, when you look at that bench, particularly in Paris, Ian Henderson and Robbie Henshaw, aside, even though there's an argument to be made that if they had been you know, more games under the belt, they could actually have been starting. But, I think there is too many game managers on that bench rather than game changers, and I think that is a big, big issue. Sorry to use like the Eddie Jones kind of bluster term, but but
2: it's true. It's very true. Like it, it, it's what it's what O'Gara talks about.
1: Yeah, you know? and um, I think like you look at that bench and you look at like someone like Peter O'Mahony, you look at Connor Murray, you look at Keane Healy. Th- these guys still have a role to play, and I'm absolutely not down play- downplaying that. But when you had a game that you needed to win. You needed to up the tempo of of what was going on, so bringing Conor Murray on just doesn't really work. I think like someone like Craig Casey. I think Gavin Coombs just has to be started to to be brought in. He's had a tricky tricky start to the season, but a guy like that, like he's made for Test rugby, like he's unbelievably physical. I think, like I said, he had issues. He got stuck in South Africa. He's one of those players. Who hot up in COVID and, and things like that so I think it would have been interesting if he had been able to build on last season because um, it's amazing that no one has really talked about the loss of CJ Stander and Munster because you have this guy who's coming through and he, he's a guy I think who could make a really big impact uh, if he's not starting off the bench and I think he needs to be brought through as well Is okay. that how you see the bench make up going over the next little while? That Peter Mahoney and
3: Connor Murray could be struggling to make the squad?
1: Well, I think I, I think will depend on the game. I think if you're going to, to Twickenham, I would be shocked if if they're not on the bench. Like, I mean, you have this issue of like they're centrally contracted players, um, and that does count for something. That is the, the flaw within within the Irish system. You know, these guys are among the top 15, like 15, 16 earners in the country. Um, it's so, so rare to, that you see a centrally contracted player who is fit left out of an Ireland 23. And like I said, that is one of the flaws of the system. But if you want people to come on, guys to come on and change a game, I'm just not sure that, like, these, type of, that these type of players are, are able to do that. I think they can come on and close out a game. I think we're seeing that like in someone like Keane Healy who's, whose best days are behind him now. Like, I mean, 35, he's unbelievable amount of mileage on the clock. He's been through some serious injuries. And it, it's kind of unfair to compare it to France because you look at the depth, but you have to compare it to the, to the best teams in the world and what they're doing. You see... How well that French front row played! Like they're arguably the, the best front row in the world right now, along with the Springboks, obviously. But they came off after fifty
2: five. <laughs> they came off after fifty five. We were banging on. Ireland were banging on about how we had the best front row in the world. And like, Come on, this is the this is exactly the type of stuff that pisses people off because we're yeah. carried away. There's no special prize for it. We're probably third at best. Yeah, th- third at best. You have a hooker who's
1: still finding his feet in international rugby. You have a loosehead who's just after switching back. Yeah, to come tight on! Head. What were we talking about? So, yeah, I think <laughs> it's. A, I think it's okay. Like it's. A, it's a kind of classic Irish thing. I think it's okay to acknowledge like that these guys are sensationally good, but they're we're not. We're very out. excited about them, exactly, and there's every reason to be excited about them. But, but now
2: but what we've done is like anytime they're not the best in the world, ah, oh, we said they were the best in the world. They're not. Yeah, they're a disappointment. It's like no, they're not. They're just learning.
1: Uh, yeah, and that that is the that is the classic kind of Irishman, build them up to kind of knock them down. But there's every reason to be excited. But the issue is who's who's coming. Who's a coming Jean's here? Fault. <laughs> it's
3: Gordon Darcy, I think, to put a put a name on it. And, uh, and it was our, your fault. You you were the yeah. one who was like, like, like you lured him college. into it. Uh, Stephen Cave, Speed Green was uh, saying that. The Irish front row is the best in the world. I'm I'm just relaying information. But, here. But guys. all
1: the while, Ireland were winning games last year, predominantly at home. I think you know th- the talk was, "Oh, it'd be great to see how they would go up against th- the Springboks because that is the ultimate test." But France right now are very very close to what the Springboks are in terms of their physicality. And yeah. um, like they had a six-two split on the bench, like that was their version of of the bomb squad. Yeah. You know, so that was a test, and I think. Ireland ultimately failed it because they came up short, and I don't think it was down to the, the, the starting props. Like I said, getting seventy three minutes out of them is remarkable, but you need to see guys like Tom O'Toole. Like you know, he, he he's struggling to get his place in Ulster, but like he's one you'd really like to see push through. And you know, someone like Dave Kilcoyne, like we, we know what he's capable of, and I think that would be the the argument that Andy Farrell would make against against the discussion that we're having here he would say well who are the guys that you want me to to play you know it's not like you control there, there isn't a whole bunch of young props coming through and that is an issue and it's it's a bigger issue for Irish rugby rather than directly to Andy Farrell I think
2: yeah i do wonder if maybe that whole management of the props situation needs to be re-looked at where we actually send everybody away for a couple of years in their early twenties and see how they get on in England and France but kind of have some kind of relationship with them like or, it's obviously not it's not ideal that your first team plays all the big games and your first team provides the first and second choice for the international team as well as for Leinster so there's not actually enough opportunity for anybody else to come through in that scenario um, we're getting better it definitely is better than it was in, in previous years but I think when we were doing our depth charts Keith Wood made the point that like our second choice tight head is actually our first choice loose head in reality, I know they're not going to change him back in the middle of a game, but maybe they will in the that World That is Cup. the fear that, it, that they
1: actually could. And if it came to a World Cup and, you know, Tiger Furlong got injured, that is my fear that they would go to Andrew Porter, whose, whose body size and everything has changed now because he's lost. He shed down a lot of kilos to go back to said to allow him to get around the pitch more. That is my major concern that they would say to Andrew Porter, Okay, we need you to, to go back and suddenly Keen Healy is in and then you don't have this super dynamic front row. Like it's the same it's the same in Munster at the moment. Like they have two really exciting tight heads who it feels like have been coming through for so long and Keenan Knox and Roman Salanoa. But they can't get in ahead of Stephen Archer and John Ryan because their scrummaging is deemed not up to, to standard at the moment. And that is that's a, like a reflection I think of the bigger issue in Irish rugby at the moment, that you just don't have a flood of exciting young props like Andrew Porter is the last one to come true when he was playing 20s he knew it was only a matter of time before this guy was playing international rugby and you don't get that sense I think at the moment with a lot of the guys in the system
2: there were growing pains with Porter as well where the scrum would collapse and he would be getting penalised for it and it was two or three times a game not every game but like certainly you just have to you have to bite the bullet and say we're going to give you 10 games and at the end of that you're going to be part of the the cycle it, that doesn't happen if everybody plays 73 minutes and that, that's why it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend Um is your instinct that Andy Farrell picks the team you've picked for him this morning and that Sexton starts? Uh, no, I, I have a feeling Joey Carberry will start uh, because
1: Johnny Sexton wasn't involved in that session against the 20s, which would have been deemed their big session last week. Uh, they were a bit vague, as they always are, on the state of his hamstring. Um, like I said, it's a hamstring issue. Like, Would you really risk that against no. Italy? Going, you've got England coming up in two weeks. I, I, I think it's mad that we're having this conversation to be honest with you, like I just think it's a no-brainer to back to back Joey Carberry this week
2: I would agree with that and I would actually say that you should back him against England as well because then you get a much better opportunity it's a three game series where you get to see exactly what he's made of in three completely different situations and environments one where he's thrown in, one where he's given the whole week and one where he's under pressure because Sexton's on the bench against England, it's like well, now we know a lot about you and whether or not you're totally ready to go or not but uh, we'll see alright um, are we going to win by 40 points this is the, probably the last time we'll talk to you before the game is that I'd be
1: very surprised if Ireland don't no matter what team if it's Johnny Sexton or Joey Carberry I'd be very surprised if they don't put a big big score this Italy team they're poor and they're also missing some some key men in the pack so I'd imagine I think it'll be a very strong Ireland pack and I think they'll just monster Italy uh, pretty much as France did to, to Ireland in that first half a couple of years right.
2: ago Keen, good stuff. Uh, the Aviva Prawn Sandwich Brigade is keeping the real fans out, says Dave. Maybe the Prawn Sandwich Brigade are the real fans. Are there prawn sandwiches at the Aviva? I'd love if there were, actually, yeah. Well, we you wouldn't have full settings it's without them. It's wine and cheese, isn't it? That's what they that's what Adrian 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 do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nine minutes past nine this morning, OTB AM is brought to you by Gillette. Good morning. Start with Gillette, with your best face forward with our new and improved razors. My thanks to Keen for joining us this morning. We've got Graham Hunter next. OTB AM. Eleven minutes past nine, I'm delighted to say Graham Hunter is with us. Graham, good morning, you How are you?
6: This is my best face and I'm putting it forward. Ah, excellent.
2: Where are you? What's the sign behind you there?
6: Yeah, the sign um, says uh, yes to ball games. I don't know if I can tilt it properly. Oh, yeah, excellent. It's the, the, De- the Dennis Law Legacy Trust in Aberdeen. Um, they went to the council and went, you're completely mad. Um, this is the city where Scotland's only golden uh, ball Ballon d'Or winner comes from. you are putting up no to ball games and they negotiated with them and they got not only taken down, but converted into yes to ball games. If you haven't done a little feature on the Dennis Law Legacy Trust and the work they do with Street Sport in Aberdeen, I promise you it will be rewarding for you in the future.
2: Very good. Were you there to see the unveiling of Jim Goodwin?
6: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's not a statue, he's a proper manager. (laughs) Um, No work in Barcelona kept me away from Jim's debut at Motherwell, um, but I'm going to be there this Friday when there is an unveiling of the Sir Alex Ferguson uh, statue at Patojie, Fergie's going to be back at Potoji for the first time in, I don't know, gazillions of years. And then we're going to beat the Arabs Dundee United uh, the following day. So yeah, if you want to talk about it, i keep you going all day.
2: Uh, very good. Uh, I the The bit, of the Ferguson documentary where he's in Aberdeen is brilliant cinema it's absolutely the footage is class just his attitude just his personality just the, the fact that they're all training on like a park pitch it's it's absolutely sensational
6: well, well they're training they're training on the Red Ash car park opposite uh, Petodri, which is where the Bayern Munich scout um, who then became their press chief Marcus Hurley, for 25 years Saw them with his nose pressed up against the railings, looking at what was basically—I don't know if you've got red ash in Dublin or Ireland—but it's just like hard-packed, just before cement stuff that's lumpy and bumpy and can take cars. Been parked there every, you know, three, four days, and they, they either trade there or on the beach because until very recently they didn't have a dedicated training ground. And the Bayern man in uh, the Cup winners' cup winning year of 1983 was sent over. He was one of the first PR men in, in Europe <laughs> he was asked to do scouting as well. And Fergie saw him with his nose in, in that very space you're talking about when they were with a plane where you couldn't slide in. You, know, you should take the, the skin right off your leg. And uh, he, he, who are you? What are you doing? Marcus Erbeck explains, I'm the Bayern man. I've got this you, on you. Fergie's like, well, don't be standing here. Get inside to get a cup of tea. He, he sits down and he chats with him. He says, well, how long are you staying for?" So I'm coming down to your game at Parkhead, which we won the next day. He said, you're staying at a B&B in Aberdeen? Marcus the Byron man. Yes. He said, well, get ready at seven. We'll swim by in the team. Must, we'll pick you up and we'll drive you down to Glasgow. So that wasn't in the film, but it should have been. And Jason Bergson, who made the film with his dad, did a really good job. If you are two family members involved in making a documentary, normally you'd imagine the things that stand out are the things that are missed out and instead he got his dad as open and as as honest and as moving as i've ever seen him in my life and i first met him in i don't know 79 so
2: i didn't know about the row with his father either that, that that bit was um i can
6: it was, to, was brutal it was brutal yeah
2: i can i can see where i came from and i can understand that that's the character and it certainly was uh it was like i i you know because we all oh, at some point himself and roy Keane will. There'll be a rapprochement. No, there won't. When you watch the documentary, there won't be any rapprochement. This guy, no, no, yeah. I tell
6: you, I tell you, you know, I didn't know the details of the row at all, but I do, I do remember Alex's brother, Martin, telling me about growing up and the degree to which having his dad's favour was so important to young Alex Ferguson. And Martin told me, Martin, who's younger than Alex by, I don't know, what is it, a year or two years, um, said that it's, it's now famous because Alex talked about it so much that their father was a shipbuilder. And they lived in government near to the yards. And young Martin would collect anything, anything balsa, any lollipops, stick, anything, so he could craft it together into a ship. And as a little one, four or five years old, he built this ship out of any piece of wood he could get. And, and his dad came out from the yards, and, and Martin went to his dad, Look, look, dad, look what I built. I built one of your ships. That's, yeah, that's good, son. That's really good. Good work, son. Patting the head off through to get his tea. And Alec pinched the ship off his brother there and then and stamped on it stamped on it to smithereens because Martin had had taken dad's favour so this is why Martin referred to Alec as the Fuhrer for many years
2: (laughs) (laughs) wow that is a great story let's talk a little bit about Barcelona um Looking at the team that was picked over the last week or two, I'm like, oh, this is championship manager stuff where he's just picked whatever he can get. He's, they've gone, they've, they've acquired. And then the team starts to play really good football and score loads of goals. And like, okay, well, maybe Xavi knows a bit more about team building than we suspected. Um, it's It's been unorthodox. Like the, the signing of Aubameyang, it looked like trouble, but maybe Xavi just feels like he knows what what the mercurial footballer Having played with a gazillion of them throughout his life, he feels like he can manage those players.
6: No, that's, no, I think you're right. First of all, it needs must. You, is it, normal criteria don't apply. It, it, if you're arguing because he's got a hat trick and he looks happy, Obamian is not the guy who puts 4,000 Swarovski crystals in his line boots or jets off to Milan for a pal's birthday, which he did at Dortmund when the manager said you can't go, or comes back late from the trip to France that Arteta finally bins him for. Because, you know, it, it is underreported at the moment, and, and probably correctly so, that Arsenal effectively, if they didn't sack him, it's the next best thing in legal terms. He's stripped of the captaincy, and see, he's dropped, he's left behind when they go on warm weather training, and they let him go an asset. He is an asset, was an asset. They let him go for free. Um, and this is a Bamiyan who. Um, I don't think there's ever... I am unaware of any manager other than Arteta saying I've had enough. What is clear is that obameyang uh, lives with a jaunty swagger about my goals and my pace meaning that in certain areas I can do what I like. And I can do what I like because really the things I'm doing are not outrageous things that affect my fitness. They are just me living hard, living because I'm rich, living because I'm born with a gene in me that says, take me or leave me, I don't care. Now, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say that I was born with a little bit of that and I'd be a hypocrite if I just slammed that. But managers will say, there's the line. And Arteta's quote in the latter two months of Aubameyang's time at Arsenal about, there are certain players that are scoring 35 goals a season where you have to bend the rules, and he's right. Well, Alec Ferguson, you're talking about, did it for Cantona. He changed his attitude about dress codes, about um, jokes, about the you know Kung Fu kick at Crystal Palace, which the is out by the way. Obama young, uh, Barcelona, is in that state of grace because they didn't have a nine, now they've got a nine. He's in good nick, he's quick. Um, in terms of athletic prowess, he doesn't look like 32 going on 33. He still looks and behaves like a 27, 28-year-old. Now on the pitch, that's that's cabinet for Barcelona. They had to have it, irrespective of the fact he got a couple and was accredited with the third, which wasn't his goal, um, away at Valencia at the weekend. He he transforms this team, and you talk about championship manager and whatever. The, 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 the difference, the two differences, lads, would be They've signed specific needs. There's no guarantee that Adama is going to stay. And, and for my taste, he's still a limited player. But the things he does well, one, have improved while he's been England a lot. And two, in certain games, again, will be catniped to Barcelona. So, and Ferran Torres, the goals will come. His play has been pretty good. The long and short of it is the training has been astonishing. I mean, literally astonishing. We get more access to it. When you watch it, the way in which it's, it, 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 it's it's like 15th century um, painting compared to, I don't know, Picasso or Rembrandt. It, it's a complete change from uh, the last two coaches, particularly under Koeman. It's active, it's, uh, it's witty, it's got the players' minds and um, athletic um, endeavors engaged. It's all about speed, quickness of thought, quickness of movement. It, the, the changes between the training sessions are short. Everything's intense. There's been a personality change about their working days, and you see that on the pitch gradually, particularly from those players whose talent is absolutely innate, but they lack certain experiences. So, what, what's coming? I said um, on a podcast I did um, for the big interview on Friday. Somebody's going to get a pasting soon. How is Valencia and Barcelona are not at the stage where they're going to paste everybody? Because there remain flaws and it remains an early work project. But certain teams throughout the remainder of this season will take pastings because Barcelona are increasingly quick and clever. And when you've got a, a bench player like Luke Jong suddenly getting crosses sent into him again, catnip again. There's resources on the bench. There's a good first eleven, and there's a there's just an outstanding atmosphere between the squad and Xavi right now.
3: That change in the training is is very interesting. Is 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 Xavi just bringing what Pep brought? Is that too simplistic? It's just because his CV, I guess, is, is one line managerial wise before this. So his, I guess, his experiences, the the uh, the amount of time he had to be a sponge, I guess, is limited post his playing days in in Barcelona. So what, so what's informing this change?
6: No. Oh, the, the 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 objective has similarities to what Pep wanted. What Chabby wants, there are similarities. The training sessions couldn't be more different. Right. He came, but came into a side which was hard bitten, which was experienced, where already you just about knew your best 11 instantly. There were no 17 year olds dominating like Gabby's doing, or 19 year olds dominating like Pedri's doing. It wasn't a mismatch of jumble sale purchases like Jer was talking about. He came in and went, You lot are underperforming, you lot are under training, it's harsh. And I want positional football. So the, the stories from St. Andrews, that first pet um, summer, were about players queuing up to Juan Laporta to say, I'm leaving. I won't be talked to like that. I won't be, I won't be handled on the, you know, because you both know now. It does not happen at City now because the players are in the mindset and they, they, they understand the strategies are established. He was coming on and he was hauling players. Why not you have a half turn this way? You need a half a metre that way. And hands-on those players and the way he was talking to them, Abidal, Thierry Henry, Marquez, there, there was a cute of players going, no, I'm not having this. And then Laporta said, be patient, and it clicked. And Charlie's and sessions aren't happy-clappy, Billy Graham, evangelical nonsense. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he understood that this was a, a squad which was beaten down had not a losing mentality, but b- b- were becoming accustomed to being crapped on in the papers, performing poorly against big sides. There's a big black cloud over every head. So you watch it now. It's, it's all inventive stuff where there's, there's constant exercises about individual excellence, about group excellence. So you see lots of pictures from training grounds all around Europe where you go like, here's the winning five. We've played fives today. Or this is the team that won. There's a little bit... It, apart from the, the strategic, tactical stuff and the small-sided games and rondos, what Chabby's doing is is building confidence, um, speed of thought, um, first touch, um, teamwork, um, bonds, friendships, because you both know, all of your viewers know that what you do in the training isn't always reflected in, in life outside. It's like work here, tolerates tolerate it. That there were not cliques, but there were groups in that squad who were vastly different nationality, age, experience, and there was no connection. And he's bridging it. It's like putting the synapses together. So, look, uh, uh, he, he, you said what, what informs it. He spent a lot of time at the Aspire Academy in Qatar working on how to inspire players that were less experienced than he was used to, less talented, some at the end of his career, every one of them in his squad, apart from Santi Casola, not having to have his knowledge. And he, he and his brother worked out systems where they could get their concepts across to people without you know, a pedagogical pedagogical idea, but, but in terms of um, don't show them, do it, and then revise and do it. And You have to engage people. You have to make sure that they're Listen. At this stage, you know, Ch- Chabi has a hard side. He is not a pushover, but he's not Pep. He's, they played together. They they won together. But they're very different characters. And I think it takes a look right back to Arteta, although he's a Basque, was in the same squad as Chabi. Was went left after his year when he was the best foreign player in France at PSG. Left Barcelona for Rangers because Chabi, amongst others, were in his way. They looked the same. Saturnine, dark, similar ages, similar experiences, but completely different in terms of flexibility. Arteta is much more like Pep. It's it's this. It's this way. Very little movement. Xavi's different. It doesn't mean he's soft, but he's clever and he's in a very difficult situation. And therefore, the progress he's achieved. I don't care whether they you know lift the Europa League which people will say they should do I'm not that I spoke to him after the Napoli game eh? he saw me and he, he went how's it going uh, Mackey? and I was like brilliant I'm enjoying my football well, he stopped You oh, know, I'm, I'm pleased about that because when he's getting at the moment I'm like why aren't you scoring more or this player that player I told him the truth I, you know I'm enjoying watching Barcelona after it's been pretty tortuous for a couple of seasons and the, the club behaviour has been tortuous for five seasons it is now it's just they're just a fun watch and if they're not your club and they're not your colours and you're attracted to watching English football or the Bundesliga or Syria I would tell you catch them now it's not 2011 peak Messi but it is fun
2: That sounds good everybody's booking flights to Barcelona to go and see the team again (laughs) Mm, You might get the full game
3: Yeah Yeah, Cummins Barcelona not uh, not, not the the perfect time for uh, bucket list stuff (laughs)
2: <laughs> you wouldn't say. Um can we talk a little bit about Atletico and, and uh what's going on with them at the moment? Is this is this late stage of this era? Is it just a, a little blip or is this the bit where they they see it at a supposedly I don't want to say superior, but they see they see a big name riding into town and they they uh, get the band back together and um it's a they magnificent seven their way through this tie.
6: Well, um, a lot of it depends on... Um, they've got constant trouble with injury and COVID tests. And one of the absolute, absolute certainties is that when Jimenez, the Uruguayan, and Sabic, I think it was at City, remember, play together in the defence, Atleti are better. In fact, there's a likelihood that they won't lose. They've only coincided in the team 12 times this season in the league. Um, because of injuries and suspension, and when they play together, generally you, you go, "Oh, I recognise this." And look, Jan Oblak like, hasn't thrown one in, and there are other players are playing with more confidence in the ball because they know he's behind them. Um, absolute perfection, no, but different class because Felipe, as a central defender, isn't good enough. Simply isn't good enough. If Manchester United. See Felipe lining up against them um, tomorrow night. Then you know they should get themselves an extra couple of stellas out. Um, I would have said that th- there's a, a a material difference in how sharp Luis Suarez is this season, how well he's served compared to last season. Last season he was he, he belied his age. He was by far the leading scorer. He still couldn't, you know, back last season, outsprint people playing the shoulder with a high-line defence and and run beyond them. No. But he was fired by this revenge idea of, I'll show Barcelona. I was treated like, well, I'll show the president. I was treated like rubbish. After all I've given them, I will show them. Now, that fires lots of people. It fires a world-class you're require more than most. That has diminished their injury records in poor. And the worst thing of all is that because of the way in which Cholo Mioni regularly plays three different formations within the one game, the team look confused. They look less than the sum of the parts. And Oblak is having his worst season. Does it suddenly all stiffen and get right for tomorrow night? No, not all of it. there will be missing players that are unsure of. Neymar is going to be fit, Jimenez they're having to be careful of when he is essential. There's an interview today with Savage saying yeah we missed Trippier we didn't expect him to go we're, we're, we're worse without him so there, you, it's been death by a thousand cuts so far um, but one thing you can say for sure Simeone hasn't helped his own team. This has not been a state of grace year. It has felt like whether consciously or subconsciously he has been smoking a cigar um, Best paid coach in world football, two titles, the most successful athletic manager ever, new young wife, new young family. There's been a drop of concentration. Point, full stop.
2: Is that terminal? Is that, is that the end of this relationship And actually he goes somewhere else, takes a couple of years out, comes back? Like what, What's the future for him?
6: Where? Where is the big question? You know, he's been offered jobs in England, particularly at Chelsea, on numerous occasions. His assistant who's now departed and gone to other jobs. German Burgos, the goalkeeper in, you know, the double year '96, and his assistant during the, you know, the vast part of the success at led. He could speak English. wanted to go. John Simeon. He tried and tried and tried to learn English. Couldn't or hasn't, but couldn't is a is a useful word. Italy obviously is a place that beckons I mean, him. The, the two really obvious teams where he played, two of the teams, not the only teams he played in Italy, would be uh, Lazio and Inter. Inter are, are, are pretty bust financially. Um, I'm not certain that he fancies it, that it would be a salary drop, a massive salary drop. In terms of that renewal thing you're asking, but I think, knowing you two, know, I think you would do it. I would do it. I would go, yeah, okay. I'm vastly wealthy. A salary drop is not the end of the world. If it means renewal, new challenges, an extra part of my CV, I don't think he's motivated by that at the moment. You know, in real terms, he's still a relatively young manager. I stress again that he's got a different now and, and patently happy family life. Um, and therefore, I don't think he's motivated yet by saying England or Italy. I don't think he's capable of getting across his... Do you remember what Gary Neville said about his time at Valencia, that it took him, you know, a couple of training sessions to, to realise, I can't get this across through our translator. That's something that applies to many coaches, but it specifically applies to Cholo Sumione. He's a very one-on-one coach with his players. He needs to engage them. It's not simply about the tactics. It's certainly not about him being a martinet. He's demanding. But the one-on-one relationships are what's helped build his at and his image. And at the moment, both the image of the team and the image of Cholo Sumione are diminished. And I don't think so, Jar. But their debt situation is such that if they do not get in the Champions League next season or go to the final, the review will be the sternest in all the what eleven years? Is it now twelve years or eleven years that Joselu has been at Atleti?
2: It's been a fairly remarkable career. Like it, 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 if there's a, if there's another act, it would be fairly incredible for him to be able to. Um, to pull that off I, I had one last question about the Real Madrid and the Mbappe and the Haaland stuff it's like uh, correct me if I'm wrong but in, in previous years when they would have been chasing in the Galactico era we kind of would have known that something was definitely happening by this stage that there was like a they let the rumours go out and the rumour and the power yeah. and the prestige of the club was so great that it became this kind of unstoppable momentum that doesn't quite seem to be the case at the moment with Haaland or Mbappe and maybe I'm wrong that's, that, I suppose that's my question is does it feel like there's an unstoppable momentum behind one of the, the superstar global strikers coming next season?
6: Well I, I think that if you're talking about them as a joint operation which we definitely want to do and Javier Tebas De Liga the president said, you know, Madrid will get them both because you rented some bus and I haven't got the money. Um, he didn't mention Manchester City or Chelsea in the case of Haaland, which I think was, was missing out two big candidates. But to, to do an operation like that would be one of the most extraordinary summers that any club has ever had. Um, to find the money for those two, to persuade both of them to share a dressing room, to share the spotlight, would be a big operation. So I'm not surprised that the idea of getting them both hasn't got that feeling of inevitability right now, particularly where Haaland's injured and particularly while, you know, there are two, they're two pretty distinct cases in that the world wants Erling Haaland and most of the world are queuing up thinking we can do this deal. The world would love Mbappe, let's talk about, maybe talking about six, seven top clubs, and yet there is a feeling of inevitability around the transfer market that unless something untoward happens, Mbappe's going to Madrid. But I take your point still with him in that there are consistent stories, one, about Mbappe having been unimpressed uh, with the way in which Finland had played against him last week. And you could understand because they were embarrassing. My personal opinion is that his entourage will be weighing up whether how many times Carlo Ancelotti can perform like that and still keep his job. In my opinion, knowing Florentino Perez, Carlo Ancelotti after last week in Paris is on a booking. Two yellows and it's a red. That's not simply because they lost one 0 but the image of Real Madrid was genuinely embarrassing. It's a long time since they've played that badly and an important match. And if it undermined Mbappe's feeling about you know if the people at Paris Saint Germain who allegedly are gonna make him by far the most a rewarded footballer has ever been ever and they're not saying to him do you really want to go and play that football then you'd be surprised it would be the right message to be giving him if you want to retain Mbappe but again from my taste um, I think that Mbappe's mind is largely made up absolutely done deal um, maybe not there's a lot of time to go between now and, and the summer but in my opinion mentally he's taking a decision Haaland is a different matter because trying to persuade him to I think Barcelona Manchester City and Chelsea have to be candidates for Haaland have to be but the idea that Barcelona are selling him we will be in the Champions League we can pay you the wages that Madrid are offering you and we want you to oppose the Mbappe era you're an outsider don't go and join them be with us and we'll go head to head with him we'll go head to head with Madrid. you'll be the inheritor of the messy spotlight, not the play, the spotlight, opposing. Don't go with him, Bappi. That's what they're trying. And and who can blame them? It's the right message to give to Harland. Whether he thinks that he wants to be part of a, a very junior project with nineteen year olds and seventeen year olds and eighteen year olds, I don't know. But you can see the attractiveness of saying let's build the new Cristiano Messi across Spain Bucky the over there, and you hear, it's a message. It's a spiel.
2: Yeah, it's like uh, Real Madrid are saying, it can be Pushkas and Di Stefano and Barcelona yes. are saying, uh, you can be the Cruyff of your generation, or the Messi. So for,
6: for sure, you, 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 when you when all the pay packets are largely equaled, for a long time now we've been talking about living conditions what, what's it like do you, do you want to be remember Ronaldinho <laughs> ultimately when um, who's your man at Peter uh, uh, at Manchester United came back from meeting Paris as your man, and then faxed a different offer and it all quite kind of broke down and, and uh, Sandra Rosé from Barcelona said Ronnie do you really want to live in the rain and Ronaldinho eventually went no I don't that was two thousand and three and he went out and said it. That was a factor. So for the longest time, lifestyle has been sold as part of the package when the pay packets are, are more or less equal and ego is in there. You know, do you want to go to Messi's club? Do you want to wear the, the blogger? Equally for Real did they they are saying as you said, join up, we'll rule the world, you and Mbappe and Benson and nobody will stop us. It's it's another those guys stepping up. These are sexy messages. We're, wouldn't you like to be Erling Haaland right now? Oh
2: yeah, <laughs> that's a good choice to have, Graham. Great stuff. Enjoy the unveiling of the uh, the statue and and your chats with Fergie. Thanks a million.
6: It's it's not my it's not a statue to me yet. <laughs> give
2: that's, it, give it another couple of books. You'll get there.
6: I like I like your attitude.
2: Thanks a million. Enjoy the games. Cheers. Um. Yeah. What would you do if I was who?
3: Haaland. If I was Haaland. I would try and go to Manchester City. Would you? Yeah. Would you? The Ronaldinho thing it's is... Soulless.
2: I didn't know this about you, but you're revealing yourself here. The
3: Ronaldinho thing is different because Ronaldinho
2: has us all. Uh, well, Haaland uh, obviously comes from a, a climate where that won't make that much difference, but maybe, you know, it's all, it makes all the more difference. Like, you're going to have to go back and live in Norway at some point, so... Yeah,
3: no, I, I'm a purely if you're talking about purely footballing levels and wanting to win the Champions League next season
2: no we're talking about like where do you want to go and be the be the one where they they chant your name three decades hence where they will you will be forever stitched into the fabric of that great club this super club Mm -hmm. is going to take you and go we're elevating you beyond you're like oh Man City that's exactly what I want give me those petrol dollars back up the Brinks truck where do you want to Mm, blue moon we're, we're I always, I always dreamed of being serenaded
3: by Blue Moon. Yes, because all the other sponsors around Europe are so positive as well. Uh, but no, in fairness, you you, you make I, I see the point you are making, but also with the counterpoint to that is that Manchester City are the best team in Europe, and you could win a Champions League next season, and then you could win another Champions League the season after that, and then you know what? You are what you are twenty six, twenty seven, and it's like oh, Barcelona are good again. I can I can do five six years here and become a semi club legend, and everybody will think that I am. Uh, and everybody will think I'm great and I can win a Champions League there as well because they're ready to win.
2: Then you're secondary, though. The, the, it's the other people who did it who will be the ones who are remembered most. But you have done it in two different clubs yeah okay so soulless own win plumps for Man City over the, the lifestyle in Barca or Real Madrid oh when well, if, so, if we're talking about lifestyle then absolutely I mean no, we're talking about everything I ask you everything it's like you you went to City give me the glory hook it to my veins well football is quite important when it comes to its I'm an imperialist Death Star he I says. am an imperialist Death Star Yeah. 9.40 this oh, morning OTBA brought to you by Gillette. good morning start with Gillette. put your best face forward with their new and improved razors these Death Stars will be back tomorrow in
0: OTB. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors.